young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. The bugs send another meteor our way. But this time, we're ready. Planetary defenses are better than ever. Plendathu, source of the bug meteor attacks, orbits a twin star system whose brutal gravitational forces produce an unlimited supply of bug meteorites in the form of this asteroid belt. To ensure the safety of our solar system, Plendathu must be eliminated. We break net now and take you live to Klendathu, where the invasion has begun. EXQ uplink on two, one, come on. We've just landed I'm here on what cap troopers are calling Big K to the 6th Mobile Infantry Division. It's an ugly planet, a bug planet, a planet hostile to life. Life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would reason you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 339, Starship Troopers. This is listener request number 49, courtesy of Keith. A very dear member of the Ass Clown community. Sure. Long time uh-huh. Ass Clown. Yeah. From the early days. All right, so this is actually the first time that we've recorded since Labor Day, and now it's almost the end of September. Oh, so yes. for people who are not on X slash Twitter, you might be confused as to why there was a big break, and then the break is not addressed <laughs> in the episode that we posted, Carlito's Way. Well, we recorded that on Labor Day. Pretty much by the end of that night, I was experiencing some symptoms, and I was like, okay, oh, no. I feel like I'm getting sick. And then by Tuesday night, I knew I was probably calling off the rest of the week, mm. and I was full-blown sick. Wednesday, oof, 
real rough of oh, that man. week. So I did, I guess, have COVID, although I never actually tested for it, but I, it doesn't seem like there was any other possibility. Do I don't want to. You got it at yeah the wrestling event. Yeah, that's the first time I've done anything in years, and yeah. of course I paid for it severely. <laughs> I don't want anyone to be misled. I wasn't in the hospital, and I wasn't really considering going to the hospital or anything like that. But it did hit me pretty hard, and so was not able to work on the show at all for about two weeks. And we had to cancel some episodes that we were planning on doing. We'll probably get to them next year. Now, all of a sudden, we're right up against Greatest October. Mm. We had a whole thing planned. We'll get into that more in the next episode. We've had to take some of the October episodes out because there just isn't going to be any time to get all this stuff in. But now, now we find ourselves looking at a schedule that's packed with listener requests, and we're like, how can this be? Yeah, I know. We're back now, and we're going to try to get back on track although matt seemingly is traveling for the entirety of october so i just was for like all of august and september too yeah there's <laughs> been gonna rough. have to be a lot of creative yeah recording going on we'll do it though we're dedicated yeah we'll see what happens keith has done plenty of favors for us so we're doing this listener request for him totally it's a movie that we probably would have got to eventually we knew we were going to do more verhoven and this one is a fascinating movie to talk about. I don't know what our overall actual opinions of it are, even though we were just talking about it for 40 minutes. Well, it is a weird one. It came out at a time when I was still, what I was 10 years old when it came out. So I'm like, heading into those early teen years, it kind of seemed like this was supposed to be a movie like Alien. Right. And then when you watch it as a young teen, it, I don't know what this is, but it's not like Alien. No. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, part of that is probably how it was received generally by the public and you haven't seen it so right and you're only going by people's wrong interpretations of the movie totally, that are yeah. out there for me i was a little bit older i don't remember the specific circumstances but some of my friends were able to go to oh, the yeah. theater i was not i did not go i think i was busy or something i thought maybe i was working but I wasn't quite that old. I think we were closer to 14 when this came out, 13 or 14, and not 15. Because I did have a job when I was 15, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Me too. I don't know why I didn't go, but I didn't. And my friends, of course, were completely fixated on the breasts and yeah. the nudity. Well, that was certainly a big Verhoeven time of the 90s. Well, yeah. Uh, we'll get into this more as we go, but this is a movie that seems like it should have been rated PG-13. And I think a lot of parents just sort of believed that it was like that. Oh, there's some violence, whatever. They probably weren't expecting a co-ed shower scene and then like a sex scene later. But it was a different time. Yeah, now yeah. those scenes would not be in it. And this movie, no matter what the overall purpose was, whether it was satire or not, it would be PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way they're releasing this as R. No way. Right. But anyway, before we get into Starship Troopers... Let's remind everyone, because it's been so long, to follow us on X slash Twitter, at Greatest Pod. That's where I announced that I was sick and that the episodes were delayed, and that's where you would find out that information, because I wasn't going to email everyone individually. So For the rest of you, surprise. Yeah, that's what was going on. Now we're back. We're recording, hopefully, through the end of the year without any other major illnesses, illnesses or breaks, yeah. but who knows? I guess that's always a possibility. As always, though, please reach out on email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. 
as we are heading into Greatest October, I would love to encourage you to write us any horror movie themed or Halloween themed or anything. Oh, yeah. That kind of theme. I'd love to read some of those by the end of October. People immediately panicking about, like, what's going on with the episodes? Is this going to impact Greatest October? It did, but uh-huh. you're still going to get a lot of content. A jam-packed month, yeah. but not as insane as we were thinking originally. <laughs> yeah. So we were thinking something that would have actually been obnoxious that people probably would have gotten <laughs> sick of us. <laughs> so this might actually be better yeah. in the long run. Anything else? Stickers, questions, comments, concerns, greatestpod at gmail.com. Folks, if you have not already done so, please write us anything about an experience seeing a movie, any personal anecdotes, anything if you did a listener request, how you came across that movie, whatever it is, we'd love to tell your story. It really helps us out as far as content. So please email us when you get a chance. You can find us on Letterboxd, although I do not use it anymore. I can't even remember the last time I logged in. But if you'd like to follow anyway... Zach1983, and then I'm assuming Matt still uses it. Matt Crosby. Yeah, although I, it's really slowed down for me, too. <laughs> but are you still logging the things you watch? Yeah. I just, well, then yeah. you're just watching less. Right. I don't even wa- log the things I watch anymore. Wow. I haven't used it in months. But maybe I'll make a comeback eventually, although I don't think I'm going to be paying for the site anymore since I don't use it. <laughs> Anything else? I, I can't really think uh, of anything. No, I just think we should add for the rest of the listeners that Keith created our artwork for the show, which yes. we're uh, very happy with. Right. Yeah, he's always been a, a behind-the-scenes contributor. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> or at least supporter. And then, obviously, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And please give us a rating and review when you get a chance. We really lift our spirits during this dark time (laughs) (laughs) of having to record and plan and edit all of these episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Oh yeah. I really need anything to lift my spirits. (laughs) Like remind him why he's doing this. Let's get into Starship Troopers 1997 directed by Paul Verhoeven. He considers this his favorite of his own films. It's blasphemy. Come on. As I was saying to you, I don't really think this would make my top five no. Verhoeven films, and I don't know that it would even be close. I look, I like his movies. For me, Basic Instinct is a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, Basic Instinct is not <laughs> only on. my favorite Verhoeven movie, it might be my favorite yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I also love Showgirls, obviously. Yeah. And what's that one with Rutger Hauer and Jennifer Jason Leigh we watch? is like Fire and Blood or something. That movie's a awesome. A Flesh and Blood or something? Or so, Flesh yeah. and Bone? Something? Yeah. <laughs> That movie's awesome. Yeah. Spetters is awesome. Oh, <laughs> Spetters. Total Recall. Yeah. RoboCop and Benedetta. I mean, <laughs> all of these might be better. <laughs> but don't worry, Keith. We actually do like oh, Starship yeah. Troopers. It's just a little bit further down the Verhoeven ranking than he would have it himself. Screenplay by Ed Newmeyer, based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert A. Heinlein. If you have not already seen Starship Troopers or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, it is currently available to stream for free on Netflix and AMC Plus, whatever that is, <laughs> and obviously a streaming rental as well. I have the the 4K Steelbook edition. I have to say, wasn't really blown away by it. It seemed like not really any different from a Blu-ray, but then mm. again, that's probably half of the releases at this point. Yeah. Budget was between 100 and 110 million. Wow. Box Holy office shit. was 121 million, making it a big disappointment. 
because obviously when you spend that much, you're thinking minimum 250 I don't know why I was thinking this was like a $60 million movie or something. Well, you have to remember that the extent of CGI they're using true. was a lot yeah. in 97. Now we're used to that. That's a lot of movies. But in 97, there weren't a ton of movies that were this much CGI. Right. And we'll get to that in a second. But Jurassic Park, I think, had a huge influence on how this movie came together because the pre-production lasted so long, even before Verhoeven gets involved, that when they were initially planning this, they would have never even dreamed of some of the stuff they ended up doing oh, yeah. because it didn't exist yet. As we said, I, I do think this movie was mismarketed from the get-go. Obviously, Verhoeven's going to push the envelope when it comes to sex and violence, so he may not be the right director to make this PG-13. I don't think that's a world that could ever happen for yeah. him. But <laughs> I don't think he operates in that rating. If you're trying to get back your huge investment of money and it looks like an action movie and you're going to market it that way, regardless of whether or not it's tongue-in-cheek, then you need it to be PG-13. You need to release it in the summer and just act like it's a big-budget action movie, which they did some of that. They did act like it was just a big-budget action movie. Yeah. But they released it in October. It was rated R. It had a huge opening weekend, but then terrible reviews killed it off immediately. Like The fall-off to the second weekend was very dramatic. Wow. And it was not well-liked at the time, and I think it's only because of what's happened in American history and world history since 1997 that have has changed people's perspective on what this film is and what it's going for, which will be a recurring theme as we oh, talk yeah. through this. How the fuck people didn't <laughs> recognize this as satire, I don't understand. I, I'm blown away. I'm laughing at the movie uh, yeah, thinking, people thought this was serious? Really? I know. That's well that's the thing, but I get if you're going into it thinking I'll use the same example, Alien, you're like, This is goofy and the actors are terrible. I kinda get that. Yeah. Why people would feel that way. Starship Troopers was nominated for one Academy Award in the category of Best Effects Visual Effects, which it lost to Titanic. So if you put together this and Titanic in 97, it was obviously a big year for teenage boys seeing breasts. <laughs> Kate Winslet's were probably the first I saw in a theater. And I feel like Dina Myers, although not actually the first breasts visible because of the group shower scene, she's the, the main character. So a lot of people just remember that it's her. Mm -hmm. So she's right up there probably for some guys as kate winslet was for me okay just being one of the first yeah <laughs> i know for my friends it probably was the first time they were seeing it in in an r-rated movie in a theater i wow there may have been pg-13 nudity but it's hard to remember i was trying to think other I, than titanic I, I don't, which, mine might have actually been amy smart and road trip <laughs> oh wow yeah years down the line yeah it would have had to have probably been PG-13 for me up until later in life. I can't even really remember the first R-rated movies I was seeing in the theater. I don't know. But I do think that one newspaper did a, I, I don't know what you would call it. I wanted to say contest, but I, I don't think it's really a contest. They did an experiment where they gave money to underage boys and said, hey, see if you can get into Starship Troopers. And most of them did. No, oh, wow. So just based on that experiment, it seems like a lot of guys who were probably around my age, teenagers, were sneaking yeah. into this movie. 
I think that a lot of box office analysts do think that the movie lost money from the amount of people sneaking in. No, it was yeah. one of those movies. I don't know why. Probably because it seemed on the surface like such a guy action movie. And then they're like, oh, there's boobs in it too. Which True. for some reason, it hit the right moment for 14 and 15-year-old guys. I yeah. guess they were just like, holy shit. <laughs> Even though there's like thousands <laughs> of movies with boobs in them. I don't know. I do think that Starship Troopers ends up being the ultimate you didn't get it movie. I think so. I think that's There fair. are a lot of good examples, but this one has to be right at the top. It's pure satire. Nothing in it is actually indicating that this is like an ideal society or that this is good or that what they're doing is good or smart or, or like makes this, any sense. Or like the space epic. Yeah, it's basically a story about how in this fascist society in a militaristic government how expendable people are how their lives don't matter at all how these morons are like excited to sacrifice like buying into it yeah and then you can get into that conspiracy mode where you're like did the bugs actually destroy buenos aires is that real and if it's real was it actually the bugs or was it a false flag to to further inspire them to keep fighting this fight and if you pay attention to the dialogue in the movie there are times where they're like Oh yeah, the bugs never really bothered us till we came to their planets. It's sort of fun. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like there's yeah. stuff like that in the movie where they're like, yeah, they're only really acting in self defense because of what humans are doing. Right. <laughs> it definitely made me think of these fucking lantern flies that are always crawling all over the place outside oh, of my boy. apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn bugs practice, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially that part where they show the kids doing their part, like stomping, stomping the, them out. I was like having yeah, yeah. real flashes of what's going on with those. <laughs> I know. That actually was the moment where I was like, oh, yeah, the lanternfly thing. It's Ugh. funny, like, you know, you experience this stuff a little bit less, but when I'm out in the world and I go down to the trail to just go for a run and you just are just watching people stomping bugs. Yeah. Like, it's just like a normal thing that you're now experiencing. It's a weird world. Since the release of RoboCop in 1987, producer John Davison had wanted to develop another project that would reunite members of the creative team, such as writer Ed Newmeyer and stop-motion animator Phil Tippett, but struggled to pro- progress any relevant projects. Newmeyer had separately been struggling to develop new story ideas alongside his RoboCop co-writer, Michael Miner. The pair eventually realized their writing partnership was no longer working, and Newmeyer began developing a story treatment called Bug Hunt at Outpost 7. He said, I wanted to do a big, silly, jingoistic, xenophobic, let's go out and kill the enemy movie, and I had settled on the idea that it should be against insects. I wanted to make a war movie, but I also wanted to make a teenage romance movie. Insects were chosen as the enemies due to Newmeyer's wife's strong fear of the creatures. In December 1991, Newmeyer brought his idea to Davison at Warner Brothers Studios, which also headquartered TriStar Pictures, with whom Davison had a pre-existing development deal. After discussing the idea, Davison realized it bore many similarities to the 1959 science fiction novel Starship Troopers. The novel had received a strongly divided reception on its release for promoting military power and necessary violence while criticizing liberal social programs, but it had remained an enduringly popular work for over four decades. So this is a weird moment in Verhoeven's career when he comes along and gets involved with this. He goes from an insane run of success. RoboCop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, massive movies. Yeah. If you remember when we did Basic Instinct or Total Recall, those box office figures were hundreds of millions. 
And I don't think Basic Instinct costs nearly as much as Starship Troopers to make. So he was coming off of great success, but then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under him when the world doesn't really understand showgirls. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's a little bit chaotic. It's like, what the fuck is this? This is a huge bomb. Showgirls cost a ton of money, made almost nothing because mm. it's rated NC-17. It's a total disaster from a financial standpoint. Similarly to Starship <laughs> Troopers, yeah. people are like, are we serious with the acting? What's yeah. going on? I think now because I'm sure not as bad as Showgirls. Elizabeth Berkeley really got killed. Yeah. Oh, it was rough. And even as like someone who wasn't that old, it was that much part. And of I've come to that it was fully back. embrace and love yeah. Elizabeth Berkeley's performance. And I think anybody else, it wouldn't be as good. It yeah. has to be that performance. <laughs> and I get it now. I know. One day I'll probably get there with Denise Richards in this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. So he comes along, he gets involved in this, he's reuniting the old team, more or less, from RoboCop. Verhoeven was in need of a promising project, as despite those previous successes in the early 90s, his efforts to develop the pirate adventure Mistress of the Seas and the Arnold Schwarzenegger starring Crusade had both failed. Additionally, Showgirls Hmm. had failed financially at the box office and earned him the worst reviews of his career. I'm interested in his pirate movie, Mistress of the Seas. That sounds fun. Yeah, I've actually really wanted to have a movie about sirens. Wow, starring Gina Gershon. Yeah, yeah. A, a siren movie with Gina Gershon, where yeah. she's like kind of a mermaid. <laughs> she like lures you to the island and then kills you. Yeah, that would Why be has there never been like a great siren movie? You could reuse. All right, well, let's not put this out there. This Song is a the gold uh, <laughs> for the trailer. The remake yeah. from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake trailer, <laughs> which is like the greatest cover. Which I didn't even fully appreciate the usage of that song in that trailer because it's almost like the house in Texas Chainsaw is the siren song. They're like, oh, this is safety. Like we found. Oh yeah. Like we're being wow. lured into the trap. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Sometimes on Greatest Moments, we talk about real niche, great moments. The trailer moments. to the Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre remake, which shockingly uses, comes up a lot in our conversations. I, in, in a song that's also a remake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's a very haunting cover. Absolutely. Yeah. Of a, it's like Jeff Buckley's dad. Yeah, right. Did the original. And it's kind of a weird folk. <laughs> All right, that's enough. <laughs> but that cover is really cool. Yeah. In case you haven't heard it. Anyway. Maybe that's what Mistress of the Sea would have been. Who knows? <laughs> we'll have to ask Paul Verhoeven when we have him on the show. Right. <laughs> James Cameron at one point was attached to direct this film. See? Even that being in the mythos of Starship Troopers makes it seem like well, something Well, this movie else. has like a lot of very, very famous fans. Okay, yeah. And we'll get into that at the end. But a lot of people love this movie. And it's like the biggest names in filmmaking. Wow. So- some people got it. Yeah. <laughs> Just not the people writing for newspapers, I guess. Verhoeven admits to never having finished the novel, claiming he read through the first few chapters and became bored and depressed, calling it a very right-wing book in Empire Magazine. He then told screenwriter Edward Newmeyer to tell him the rest. Verhoeven and Newmeyer then decided that while both the novel and its author, Robert A. Heinlein, strongly supported a regime led by a military elite. They would turn the concept around and satirize it, making the film a hyperbole of contemporary American politics and culture. Diehard Heinlein fans declare that the filmmakers have completely misinterpreted Heinlein's nature and intentions. They say he was a libertarian who opposed 
conscription, and militarism. He depicted the oligarchy by ex-military citizenry government in the book because it was an example of something that has never been done in real life. He was not advocating it, but was merely speculating that such a system could exist without collapsing. In a 2014 interview on The Adam Carolla Show, Michael Ironside, who read the book as a youth, said that he asked director Paul Verhoeven, who grew up in the Nazi-occupied Netherlands, why are you doing a right-wing fascist movie? Verhoeven replied, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, then no one will listen to me, so I'm going to make a perfect fascist world. Everyone is beautiful, everyone is shiny, everything has big guns and fancy ships, but it's only good for killing fucking bugs. Well, there you go. Verhoeven and Neumeier end up with a ton of freedom thanks to a management carousel going on at Sony during pre-production and then production. Nobody's paying attention. Yeah, basically. And yes, he had a big bomb with Showgirls, but he did have a track record and a history. He wasn't some up-and-coming new director, so they gave him a budget, and he was basically allowed to do what he wanted. And look, this is a movie where if the studio execs are looking for a big summer action blockbuster, you can send them dailies that make it look like that, totally. and they're not going to be upset. They're like, oh, yeah, this looks great. Right. Because you have to also factor in what we already talked about, which is the special effects are kind of unprecedented, so that's probably blowing them right. away, too. They're like, holy shit, this, this looks awesome. We haven't seen anything like this. Compare it to the special effects in Alien Resurrection or... Deep Rising, which we did on oh, the show. Yeah. The CGI in this isn't amazing compared to today, but it's so much better than right. those movies that I could definitely see the studio being like, oh yeah, this is great. This is awesome. <laughs> this is exactly what we were looking for. In the DVD commentary, Verhoeven states his intentions clearly. The film's message is that war makes fascists of us all. He evoked Nazi Germany's fashion, iconography, and propaganda because he saw it as a natural evolution of the post-World War II United States. I've heard this film nicknamed All Quiet on the Final Frontier, he said. Screenwriter Edward Neumeier broadly concurs, although he sees the film as a satire on human history rather than solely on the U.S. I think in a post-9-11 world, once we went into the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, people understood this movie a it's, lot differently. It, they were uh, like, oh, yeah. we all of a sudden recognize this. It started to resonate. The fucking idyllic 90s utopia that these fucking movie critics were living in, they could not even conceive yeah. of what Verhoeven was thinking <laughs> until they saw it front and center right in front of their face. Yeah. And then it, everything became like satire about George W. Bush and this kind of fit into that. Yeah, I just think that the tone of everything changed. Oh, 100%. The tone of entertainment. Like, this movie is way more cynical than what people were used to, but it's disguised so well that they didn't pick up on that. Like, why would they? They weren't looking for cynicism in things like this. It just wasn't something anyone would have thought of yeah. yet. Not that it never existed before, but it just wasn't that moment in time. Obviously, the 70s filmmaking was way more cynical. But Absolutely. No one was thinking that they were going to invest $110 million in brand new cgi technology to make this big statement about fascism and war and stuff. Yeah, yeah that just wasn't the way things were typically done with these types of movies as i said jurassic park once that was released in 93 it completely changed the approach to how they were going to do the bugs because originally they were throwing out you know like harryhausen type stop motion oh, yeah, right. anything like puppets machines Claymation, robots yeah 
anything they could think of because it just didn't really trying to figure out how to do the practical effects in some way yeah and there are actually some robotic models used in the movie but a lot of it is cgi your basic arachnid warrior isn't too smart but you can blow off a limb it's still 86 percent combat effective here's a tip aim for the nerve stem and put it down for good would you like to know more Everyone's doing their part. Are you? The war effort needs your effort. At work, at home, in your community. We now break net and take you live to Fleet Battle Station Ticonderoga, deep inside the arachnid quarantine zone, where the men and women of the Federal Armed Services prepare to attack. DXQ uplink on two, one, you're on. No one here in the AQZ knows exactly when the invasion of Klandathu will occur, but everyone's talking about it, and the talk says tomorrow. Here's a bunch of MI kids that look like they could eat bugs for lunch. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. So, Trooper, you're not too worried about fighting the arachnids? Hey, shoot a nuke down a bug hole, you got a lot of dead bugs, I just right? hope it's not over before we get some. <laughs> <laughs> some say the bugs were provoked by the intrusion of humans into their natural habitat, that a live and let live policy is preferable to war with the bugs. Let me tell you something. I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all! Yeah! Oh, yeah! 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 Oh, yeah! Big bad bug. <laughs> In the 23rd century, Earth is governed by the United Citizen Federation, a stratocratic regime founded generations earlier by veterans after democracy and social scientists brought civilization to the brink of ruin. A stratocratic regime is one essentially run by the military. Citizenship is gained only through federal service, which grants rights, such as to vote and to breed, that are withheld from ordinary citizens. Wow. I didn't realize the breeding part. Well, that's revealed in the shower sequence. Oh, yeah. That actually is an important scene beyond the nudity and beyond the wildness of doing a co-ed shower. They're actually revealing a lot about what the movie's about. Because they aren't all really gung-ho to just kill bugs and defend the world. They are doing this because it gets them things that they are otherwise denied. Absolutely. Humans who are now spacefaring conduct colonization missions throughout the galaxy bringing them into conflict with a race of highly evolved insectoid creatures dubbed arachnids or derisively bugs most of the arachnids appearing in the film are cgi but a few life-size robotic models were built however during the battle scenes the actors wound up looking at director paul verhoven himself who would stand in front of them and jump and scream at them (laughs) even chasing them with a broom to elicit their reactions attempting to generate some of the fearsomeness of a 12-foot space ant. Clancy Brown affectionately described the director as a nutbag. Well, yeah. Given to jumping up and down with a bullhorn going, I'm a big fucking bug, I'll kill you. I loved (laughs) him, he was so much fun. (laughs) Clancy Brown probably not the first to use that term to describe Verhoeven. The design of the bugs are slightly revised from an unused monster designed for... Tremors 2 Aftershocks. Love it. (laughs) During the making of Tremors 2, they developed two monster designs for Shriekers in that movie. That must be something that occurs in Tremors 2. I don't think I've ever actually watched it. One was used for Tremors 2, and the other was slightly revised and used for Starship Troopers. Both films' special effects were supplied by Phil Tippett, who had been working on the two films at the same time. 
If you look closely, the bug warriors share the mandibles as the graboids from Tremors from 1990. That just goes to show you what it's like working in the film industry when you're below the line. And yeah. you're just, you are working on a project like Tremors 2 that's oh. like basically straight to video and also a $110 million movie. Yeah, yeah. You take the work where it comes. Well, and hey, I got this idea on this other thing. I can use that here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Phil Tippett added, much of the way the bugs moved was dictated by Craig's designs. We did a lot of animatics and assigned the bugs' weights and the extent of its movements to come up with an animation design to see how realistically these beings could move and run and attack. We also did months and months of research, including watching lots of documentaries, reading books, and watching videos on various insects and bugs. I think it's also important to point out that more ammunition was used in this film than in any previous movie. According to veteran weapons coordinator Robert Rock Galati, the crew expended over 300,000 blank rounds during the course of filming. Good Lord. A personal record at the time. A personal record? <laughs> well, for that guy, yeah. I guess. I guess also... A record as far as the things they were tracking. I doubt that every movie of all time had actually paid attention I to it. I wouldn't think. The movie opens on Earth, and I guess I would say that my number one complaint about Starship Troopers is that I do feel it's a little too long, and the first thing I would cut is some of this Earth material. It goes on yeah. way longer than you remember. If it you haven't shocking. watched this movie in five years, you're like, holy shit, is this long. And you don't need it to understand these relationships either. You get these relationships within 30 seconds of all the characters. It could have definitely been condensed. It could now. have been like the beginning of Less Than Zero. That's what you need. <laughs> Just one shot walking out of high school, like walking out of graduation or whatever. Just a couple of expository yeah. sentences thrown in and we got exactly. it. Exactly, yep. But we're in this school setting with a bunch of kids that are well into their 20s. I think most of the people in this movie are late 20s, but they're supposed to be high schoolers at the beginning. A one-armed Michael Ironside playing Ratchek, the teacher. We also see some familiar faces amongst the students. I don't know if you picked up on this, but besides Ratchek, almost all of the adults are scarred, mangled, oh, yeah. right. crippled in some way. Yes. Obviously Missing pretty limbs, intentional. Yeah. Or have robotic limbs. Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. He is the lead. I don't really know Casper Van Dien from anything else. He seems like sort of your generic, good-looking Aryan Dog. god. Yeah. And that's sort of why he was cast. I know Mark Wahlberg was also in contention. If Wahlberg is in this movie, it becomes a Mark Wahlberg movie. Yeah, and this is, I guess, kind of fitting. It says for Casper Van Diem, of course, what he's most known for is this, but then beyond this, often in daytime and primetime soap operas. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think Denise Richards may have even done some soap operas eventually. Okay, yeah. Denise Richards as Carmen, Johnny's girlfriend. She's terrible in this movie. There's really no way to explain it other than to say she's not good. She was definitely cast for her looks, which the men were too, so I don't feel sexist saying that. Obviously, Casper Van Dien also is not great. I do think that there is an in intentionality to how bad they are. I think that Verhoeven is messing with us similarly to how he did in Showgirls. That's just my theory. Now, I could be completely wrong, and he just was looking for the next big stars and swung and missed. to that, that these are very surface-level people. Oh, yeah. 
He has said that he yeah. was casting based on looks primarily. Dina Meyer plays Dizzy Flores. She's madly in love with Johnny, who is in love with his girlfriend, Carmen. So it's sort of this sad yeah. puppy dog thing. Almost too much. It is because Dizzy is not only a fan favorite, she yeah. is by far the best character. She's unbelievably gorgeous, but Dina Meyer actually is a good actress, so the character feels real, whereas a lot of the other characters do not. Right. She's very likable, although very it layered. is pathetic. Yeah, She's I, definitely is, pathetic. You pull it back. Well, you know what, though? I kind of respect it because the reality of what they're doing is so stupid. They're probably all going to be dead. Yeah. When they leave high school, they're under the impression they're never going to see each other again, any of these people. Because you're going to be spread out all over the galaxy, light years apart. Of course, that ends up not being the case. But So she's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going for it. Yeah, and totally. It, we're young enough where if it doesn't work, or you know, we might be both dead soon anyway. So who cares? It is pathetic, but at the same time, why not? What difference does it make? If you're, you know you, what you want. You can go for it, and if it doesn't work, you'll probably get killed by a bug anyway. <laughs> which she does. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris as Carl Jenkins. Who is also psychic. <laughs> well, that's just part of the world. Some people are in this world. <laughs> a lot of these supposed high schoolers were nearly 30 already, but in a weird way, it never mattered to me because it doesn't seem like real school. Yeah. I just felt like this could be training. It doesn't really matter. I get that it's supposed to be future school, but... It's weird Neil Patrick Harris being in it at this time because this has to be closer to Doogie Howser than How I Met Your Mother. Right? I don't know what year Doogie Howser ended, but probably. Yeah. Because I think it did go into the 90s a little bit. Because I think it started maybe late 80s, into the early 90s or something like that. That seems right. Well, yeah, that definitely comes up later with some of the outfits that he's wearing. It's <laughs> There's some jokes. But yeah, as I said, a lot of the adults are mutilated. Clearly, the message is this is what is going to happen to you, yet no one seems to address that. Everyone is brainwashed into believing in the cause, which is we have to defeat the bugs. It's very similar to Ender's Game. Yes. And I've never seen The Last Starfighter, but I feel like it also <laughs> is similar to that. I haven't seen The Last Starfighter since I was a kid, but I loved it when I was a kid. I actually have the, I don't think I have the 4K, but I think I have the Blu-ray. That or was a movie somewhere. that I used to rent on VHS like all the time. I need to watch it. It's one that I'm surprised that I haven't bought because there have been releases well, of arrow it did yeah. a blu-ray and a, a 4k i'm not sure which one i have but i know i have one of them rico pay attention sorry mr Ratchet. let's sum up this year we explored the failure of democracy while the social scientists brought our world to the brink of chaos we talked about the veterans how they took control and imposed the stability that has lasted for generations since you know these facts, but have I taught you anything of value this year? Hmm? You, why are only citizens allowed to vote? It's a reward. What the Federation gives you for doing federal service. No. No. Something given has no value. Look, when you vote, you are exercising political authority. You're using force. And force, my friends, is violence. The supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. Uh... My mother always said violence never solves anything. Really? I wonder what the city fathers of Hiroshima would say about that. You. They probably wouldn't say anything. Hiroshima was destroyed. Correct. 
Naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any other factor. The contrary opinion, that violence never solves anything, is wishful thinking at its worst. People who forget that always pay. Rico, what's the moral difference, if any, between a civilian and a citizen? A citizen accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic, defending it with his life. A civilian does not. The exact words of the text. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? I don't know. Of course you don't. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. Rue McClanahan from Golden Girls, just randomly one of the teachers. Insane. That was <laughs> insane. There's so many random TV people that pop up in this movie. And I don't want to spoil them all now because we'll get to them as we go, but... Fucking Rue McClanahan from Golden Girls is a teacher, and people are like, yes, this is a completely serious <laughs> action movie. She's, like, blind, oh, like, yeah. wandering around. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Carmen has these big aspirations. She's, like, the golden girl of the school. She's somehow the smartest person in the school, which maybe not the most realistic casting. But she has a weak stomach. She vomits up some mashed bananas here when they're dissecting a bug in Rue McClanahan's class. There's also this futuristic arena football game that they play that is also co-ed. Everything's very co-ed in this world. I was like, wow, this is where the future's heading. Arena football is going to become a high school sport. But they don't wear face masks on the helmets, so it seems to contradict what we know about CTE and all the advancements (laughs) we've made. (laughs) Unless those are like special helmets that we don't even know about yet. Also, everyone very into acrobatics. Yeah, flipping is like a a bigger part of football than you might expect. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of flipping going on. Patrick Muldoon plays Xander. He's established pretty quickly as Johnny's rival. He also has the hots for Carmen. Which I can't really blame him. Carmen, of course, is super gorgeous, even if she isn't the strongest actress or well, yeah, has an inability to not throw up when she sees a bug. <laughs> Johnny's parents... Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep saying this, that I can't believe people didn't see this with satire, but the fact that Johnny's parents almost do this weird reversal of how it would normally be in a movie where the kid would be rebellious in a cool way in a fun way in a more liberal way and the parents would be the wet blanket conservatives trying to shut it down you need to be responsible you need to do the right thing they're the voice of reason who are like why the fuck would you want to be in the army and do this shit are you a moron yeah do you want (laughs) to lose an arm or your life They don't want him to join the federal service. Their reasoning is completely legitimate and makes sense. I know, and they're painted as these villains. Right. His big rebellion is to join up the federal service and be a citizen and be killed. His dad even says there should be a law against using a school as a recruiting station, which I was like, (laughs) this is hilarious that the parents are the ones saying this, and yet people were still taking this all very face value. Right. Despite the protestations of his parents about the risks, Johnny enlists as a mobile infantryman to remain close to Carmen, who is going to be a spaceship pilot. Carl joins military intelligence while Dizzy throws her life away chasing after Johnny, deliberately transferring to his squad, which, as we mentioned, is very pathetic. (laughs) Carl demonstrates his psychic ability with that ferret. (laughs) 
I know. And they set up the whole thing where he's able to control the ferret psychically. Yeah, and, and get it to annoy his mom. Johnny says, you've never done that to me, right? And he's like, oh, we can't do it to people. But then, like, wink, wink. Right. Of course. The Federal Service oath is as followed. Quote, I, being of legal age of my own free will, after having been duly advised and warned of the meaning and consequences of this oath, enroll in the Federal Service for not less than two years and as much longer and as may be required by the needs of the Federation. <laughs> that sounds like if they want, they can pretty much take your whole life then. <laughs> yeah, really? There's no guarantee that you're going to get out after two years. Horrible. Even in these moments, the Nazi iconography, the Aryan casting, it's all very prominent. You're all sort of getting it. A lot of visual cues should be reminiscent of the Empire in Star Wars mm -hmm. or the bad guys in any number of things or the Nazis or any. It, it should be pretty clear. But I guess some people didn't quite grasp that. What are your thoughts on all the propaganda commercials that pop up throughout the film? Do you think that adds to it? I think it adds to the satirical vibe. I think, again, when I go back to like my initial impressions of the movie, I was like, this stinks. <laughs> like, I thought it was stupid, but now it fits more into the overall right. vibe. It's just, again, it's just like that expectations thing. And I felt like an expectation was being set about what this movie was when it came out. Yeah. So I kind of get everyone not really getting it because when something's out there like, oh, this is what this is going to be. And then that's not what it is you're left sort of confused. Well, there definitely was a segment of people who just thought it was dumb fun. Yeah, yeah. And didn't really think too much about it. And then there were people who saw the fascism and the Nazi iconography, and they thought it was pro that. Right. And then there's people who, I guess, got it and understood what it was. And then there was just, uh, you know, a lot of other people who just didn't think it was good. But I was, was loving really the, uh, the propaganda videos, uh, especially in this viewing. Like I was saying... Having those kids stomping on the bugs was amazing. Yeah, I think that the propaganda commercials have become the most quotable known things of the movie. The do you want to know more? I'm doing my part. Right. Those have become a lot of the things people reference. There's some over-the-top funny lines, too. Oh, like yeah. Like, goddamn bugs whacked us, Johnny, obviously. But I think that these propaganda things are just as up there as anything else with the movie. In the director commentary on the Blu-ray, Verhoeven stated, showing the mutilated bodies on FedNet was to encourage more people to join the Federation. The cow being censored was due to PETA animal supporters, and the experiments on the brain bug at the end were censored as it was classified information. That explains why some things have that big classified yeah. on it, and then a second later, there's just completely <laughs> mutilated, destroyed bodies in right. the commercial. <laughs> FedNet was created to help establish the satire in a way similar to RoboCop, another Paul Verhoeven film, which I'm sure we will do at some point. We Maybe even next year. We'll see. Everybody in the core group, Carl, Carmen, Johnny, etc., they're all split up, sent into space. We're introduced to Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim, who's kind of a hard ass oh, yeah. in a lot of ways, but ultimately turns into a heroic figure at least in the context of the film yeah probably a couple times over actually i mean he ends up being the big hero at the end but he also has a heroic moment for johnny in particular yeah jake Busey enters the picture as ace i was saying to you before the show though <laughs> this should be the clue 
if you weren't getting it up until now, as soon as Jake Busey's mug is on screen, it's like, <laughs> oh, this is kind of a goof. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, know what it is about this guy, but... I do think it does get into that weird thing where, on a personal level, Verhoeven, everyone involved, the producers, the writers, meet these people, the actors, become friends with them, like them on a personal level. And so later, when people aren't grasping what the movie is they can't just come out and say why they cast this person or that person being fully honest right i do think that there is sort of intentional casting going on but then these are human beings that you meet and like yeah you're and not so gonna... you're not going to then just be like well we cast this guy because he looks ridiculous <laughs> or this a- we cast denise richards because she's so wooden yeah <laughs> and like not great i don't know like you can't actually say that stuff right. later no, I agree with that. But I do think that that does sort of play into this stuff from time to time. And I know it sounds like maybe we're being like super critical of the people in this film. I like Denise Richards. I think she's great in Wild Things. I think that people have to find the right roles that work for them. I don't think that Denise Richards being the valedictorian of this high school who's destined to be this great military leader it, makes any sense. <laughs> she doesn't really seem like she would inspire a following in terms of going into battle. I think people often and rightly goof on her as a Bond girl because I think she played like a fucking scientist or something. Uh, And people were like, this is ridiculous. The world is not enough. And this isn't any different. I'm sorry. I know that that's judgmental. And maybe in real life, sometimes actors and actresses are way different from how they appear on screen. For all I know, Denise Richards could be smarter than me. I don't know, but I'm saying the way she reads on camera as an actress, this just doesn't seem like her, this part. And now celebrity spokesperson, actress Denise Richards. That's right. I'm an idiot. Surprised? Is there anything you would like to add? These microphones look like black ice cream cones. Thank you all for coming out. And idiots can do anything we put our minds to. I played a nuclear psychiatrist in a James Bond movie. Look, what do I need to do to make this go away? I want you to call my phone so I can hear the chicken dance again. And I want the video for my new single to play on TGS this week. La piscine, j'adore la piscine. Towels, sunscreen, bathing suits, diving boards, and towels. Those ladders, towels. I don't know. I think that might be intentional. Maybe I'm giving Verhoeven too much credit, but... It seems like based on some of the stuff he says that there was a thought process that is a little bit non-traditional for the casting. I I would believe that. So then we get into the co-ed shower scene. So now we're in the mobile infantry. Dizzy's there. Johnny's trying to do what he can. And sort of the ironic humor is that he could barely graduate high school. Yet over and over again, he's like the ideal soldier. Even when he fucks up and goes all the way back down to the bottom, it's not that long until he's right back to the top. <laughs> and that is its own commentary yeah, yeah, right there right. about what they are thinking about the people who are so gung-ho to throw their life away on something like this. The co-ed shower scene, of course, got so much attention. It's the first of its yeah. kind in any mainstream American movie, the idea of like a, a group co-ed shower scene. Although, to be fair, Verhoeven sort of got into that with RoboCop. It's very close to being this, but it's not quite. I don't know. It was just like a peak time of sexuality permeating into the culture. 
Well, that's the thing, though. There the is 90s. nothing sexual about the scene. Th- that is true, but... Which is what makes it interesting, because nobody seems to care. Okay, but... Like, they're used to this life. But the idea of it definitely sparked some conversation out there. You talk about the teenage boys sneaking in Well, yeah. Originally, Cameron was going to do this in Aliens, and the actresses in that film were, like, not cool with it. Yeah. And they eventually were just like, you know what? It's not crucial to the movie. And... Let's be honest, if there was a fully naked co-ed shower scene in Aliens, it probably would not be as popular. I don't know why, but I just think that would prevent some kids from having seen it earlier. Because in America, we're way more terrified of nudity than we are violence and scary things. I know, it is weird. So I think less kids would have been allowed to see Aliens growing up, and ultimately that would have affected it later on, the legacy of it. It's not a, a crucial scene. They didn't do it. So it this really is the only, first time it came up. Is it only two actresses? Would it have been in Aliens? I can't remember. Okay. But yeah, it sounds right. In the initial group, there may have been three. Well, that's true. There was the one who flies. There was the one doing brown face. Yes. We talked about. Right. And then, and then Ripley. Right. Okay. So there would have been three. at least three. This scene, though, ends up being crucial for a lot of reasons because of the things they talk about. They discuss why they're there. The one woman says she wants to have kids. She's not allowed unless you're a citizen. So gaining yeah, that's rough. a citizenship means a lot of things to different people. And Verhoeven and Neumeier quite clearly want us to trace this back to American military. I'd say so. And what's promised to kids who either are in a rough financial position or they don't know any better. You know, like the, the tactics used to recruit an American it's military. Awful. In a 2014 interview with Empire Magazine, Verhoeven said of the shower scene, Americans get more upset about nudity than ultraviolence. I am constantly amazed about that. I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in American film that are anything other than completely boring. A bare breast is more difficult to get through the censors than a body riddled with bullets. Well, we know. I know. It is we know crazy. that that's true, and it, it is very bizarre. It is weird, especially when you talk about the violence in this movie. People's bodies getting ripped apart. There are people who are like more upset about Florence Pugh's nudity in Oppenheimer than the fact that we <laughs> I built know. two atomic bombs yeah. that killed hundreds of thousands of people. It remains true to this day. <laughs> Director Paul Verhoeven and stars Dina Meyer and Casper Van Dien confirmed that Verhoeven and cinematographer Joost Vacano shot the co-ed shower scene in the nude themselves on a dare from Meyer. Wow. On the day of the shoot, Verhoeven had asked the cast to do a little fashion show without fashion so that they could get comfortable being naked. When the cast was reluctant to disrobe, Verhoeven asked them what the big deal was, to which Meyer responded, Paul, if it's no big deal, why don't you do it? Quite unexpectedly, Verhoeven got undressed, as well as Vacano, who had been raised in a nudity camp. Imagine the uh, studio heads walking in on this day. (laughs) Your director's just nude. After this, everyone... Had a good laugh, and the scene was filmed without problems. To give the full story, it was just Verhoeven and the cinematographer. Everyone else yeah, was sent out set, of the room. Right. Yeah, It's not like, you know, they were forcing everyone to be naked in front of the entire crew or anything like that. But, yeah, it's a lot of naked people. They don't really show much in terms of full frontal or anything like that, but I'm assuming everyone there was actually naked, so it, it is a big deal to film it. I, I would say that it's... When you actually watch it, if if it's been a while, you're kind of like, oh, this is that scene everyone made such a big deal about. It doesn't yeah, seem not as crazy it. now. No, no. I don't know. 
I guess it's just weird for some people that it's men and women. But if you've watched as many sleazy movies as me, you've seen plenty of full <laughs> women shower scenes. So I don't know. It doesn't seem that weird to me, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It's I mean, I would this... be uncomfortable doing it oh, yeah, in a I mean, co-ed group. but It's just the scandal of a, a shared shower situation. Diz, by the way, completely buries Johnny uh-huh. in the shower Love scene. It. Where yeah. she's like, oh, he joined for a girl. And I do like it, though, when they are asking if it's her and she won't say. Because yeah. she's embarrassed, probably, that it's not her. and they th- Or leaving the door open that it is. Yeah, well, she wants yeah. it to be her, but she knows it's not. Right. And everyone goofs on him, though, because it is such a stupid reason to throw your life away. <laughs> well, there were scenes cut out that established how rich Johnny's family was. And that's why Ace and some of the other characters refer to him as Rich Boy. And you're kind of like, yeah, he did seem rich, but that wasn't harped on earlier. So you're kind of confused by it. But there was a lot of shit cut out of the movie, too. And so, yeah, when you break down all of those other people's reasons why they need to do this, why they need to be citizens, and then his is pussy, you're like, ugh, dude. I know. It's really lame. Because nobody in this movie appreciates death at all. They don't understand how quick it's all going to be over for them. In fact, they're sent on missions in the movie where later it's revealed, oh, yeah, we knew that was going to be a trap. (laughs) And then, like, fucking Neil Patrick Harris is like, yeah, all day I'm sending hundreds of people to their deaths. It's like they're so expendable. Then we switch it up and check in on Carmen. She's hanging out with Amy Smart in space. Seems like a pretty cool deal. The first breasts <laughs> Matt ever saw in a movie in a theater. <laughs> That's right. A little connection in this episode. Look, does Denise Richards really seem like a pilot? It is a little hard to buy that she's like the most cunning pilot in the entire fleet. Sue Ellen Mischke from Seinfeld is her yeah. fucking captain. Captain. The yeah. brawless wonder in space. <laughs> <laughs> and then fucking Xander, of course, has somehow snaked his way into a position right alongside Carmen. Oh, I know. I will say, if you're Johnny Rico, you got to just cut off all contact now because this is just going to be a hell. This is a situation that you... It's about to get way worse. (laughs) And then whenever Carmen finds out that the insistent instructor is this guy that she knew from back in Buenos Aires who clearly has a crush on her, she says, should I call you sir? Oh, no. And she says it seductively. I know. It's gross. <laughs> I can see why audiences just did not like Carmen. I know. I get it. They just graduated high school. She's not married. Right, right. In reality, it's completely normal, and she's not a slut. And No. But in a movie, you can't have a female character betray the lead like this and not expect People the viewers to, turn, to be pissed yeah. about it. That's just common sense for movie construction. And so, obviously, at this point, way before Johnny's ever hooked up with Diz, we know that the audience loves Diz. It's already established, because how couldn't you? (laughs) How couldn't you be in love with Diz already? Totally. Meanwhile, during training, Johnny impresses Drill Sergeant Zim, earning a promotion to squad leader. He does the football play with Diz. Yeah. It is very reminiscent of Talladega Nights, Shake and Bake. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Diz is so willing to do anything to get Johnny the glory. She doesn't care. I know. She's second fiddle. She's the sidekick. It is sad how pathetic she is. But when he's on top of the world, Carmen decides to break up with him officially over video message. Rough. 
Although I will say a meetup for coffee would have been a difficult. No, I know. There's really no other way to do it, but yeah. it turns into a public humiliation because it goes through the whole gamut. Yeah. Because first of all, his squad members are like, holy shit. Like, this is the chick. <laughs> they cannot believe it. Which, you know, in all fairness, rang true. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. If that was us and like our friend was like, yeah, I joined for this chick and then we see denise riches on the screen we'd be like holy fucking shit of like, course no she kidding. did yeah and then the first words out of her mouth are basically like well it's not we're never gonna out. see each other yeah. again so this isn't gonna happen and then meanwhile you fucking see xander in the background i know <laughs> just a kick to the nuts you have to understand long distance relationships never work come on especially when you're light years apart I know. And there's an indeterminate amount of time. She basically breaks up with him because and she says like, she's going career. Two good-looking people. Yeah. Uh, it's just going to be constant attention. It's almost like Johnny doesn't understand how good-looking he is. He, he could have been crushing ass up and down the Federation at this point. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they don't make a big deal about it in the movie, but if you look from Carmen's perspective, you've got Diz hanging around all the time. She's dealing with the same... I guess she does see that Diz is in that group because they do have a... An actual yeah. live chat at one point earlier. I know they're just not when really. Everyone's f- mooning her. <laughs> yeah, but they're just not really focused on Carmen's perspective for that. Yeah, but you could make that same big deal that she's like, "Oh, great, this person is around. The one that like never stops hanging around you." Carmen never seemed bothered by Diz though. She's not threatened. No. In fact, <laughs> she's no- like, "Would you just hurry up and?" Yeah. convince him so that I can get rid of this guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like hurry up and take him then Johnny makes a mistake during a training exercise mm. when he allows one of the members to take the helmet off which causes the death of said member it's that guy from I think he's in Major League 2 and 3 okay. he plays like that new catcher who replaces Tom Berenger yeah. that kind of dopey guy just a horribly run operation here, though. So one of his own squad members accidentally shoots the guy in the head because he's just not wearing a helmet. It's an accident. So that woman quits, and the one guy is dead. By the way, not really sure that a helmet was going to actually Yeah, it did seem like it was situation. in the face. Yeah, but and super close range. I don't know that those helmets are, like, impervious. Well, you would think they must be. Okay. If Since they made such a big deal about it. I know. It. <laughs> you know, they got to wear... Bulletproof helmets against bugs. Well, you know, it might be an insurance thing because yeah, I know that if you get killed on a construction site and you're not wearing a helmet, it doesn't matter if the helmet would have made a difference. If you're not wearing it, your family's not getting any money. Wow. So okay. sometimes, yeah, the foremans of these groups have have had to do horrible things where they're like, "All right, lift that beam up. Let me throw this helmet in there." Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Shit like because they're like they know what's going to happen. Right. And the person would be dead anyway. Like, yeah. the helmet would not have stopped it, but the insurance companies will use whatever they can. That's so maybe right. it's something like that. <laughs> that guy's family isn't going to get anything now because his helmet was off. What a Who statement knows? of our society, by the way, that whole scenario. I know. There's, it, yeah. We're in a dystopian nightmare. Right. We're actually headed towards this world of I Starship know. Troopers, and we're all going to be running towards it gleefully because the world we're in right now sucks so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Consequently, Johnny is demoted and flogged which is very weird (laughs) and again really people i know no one thought that this was weird i know this part like almost seems out of a different movie like where he's being whipped well it just seems like that's something like we wouldn't do to soldiers now let alone 200 years in the future so we've taken like all these weird steps backwards that also should be a dead giveaway that this is some weird right not positive world 
Johnny then resigns from the military, but reconsiders after learning that an asteroid sent by the arachnids has destroyed Johnny's hometown of Buenos Aires, killing millions, including his parents. First of all, Hank from Breaking Bad is one oh, yeah. of the lead Dean people. Norris. I'm not really sure what his role is. He's higher than Zim at this point, but he seems more of an office person. Yeah. I don't know. So, okay, this is one of the conspiracies that you can get into with this movie. I don't know how much stock I put into it because it, it ultimately doesn't really matter, I guess, unless you really want to go down a weird path. But it does seem super convenient that this is happening right now. Now, I don't want to suggest that I think it's a false flag or fake just to lure Johnny back, but people have suggested that they don't actually think the bugs did this or it didn't happen at all, and it's all fake. Because well, they're, they're just light years away from Earth. They yeah. have no idea. The science behind the bugs doing this. Oh, I have no idea they what never that even means. get into it, really. Like the that bugs yeah. sent an asteroid to Earth. Yeah, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> I, that's why I feel like they leave that door open because they don't really explain how that can happen. And then Verhoeven used footage of actual wildfires in California, which does not look like a city has been wiped off the earth. It looks right. bad. I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not diminishing the destructive forces of wildfires, but it's not the same thing as if the city doesn't exist anymore, which is what they say. Right. Now, I guess I should clarify, I don't actually really buy into this because I – I don't think it matters for what the movie's going for. Yeah. Although it could if you want to take it in that direction where they prop up this militaristic world on a lie, and that's its own interesting take. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they get into that in the sequels. I never have seen any of them. But for the purposes of this movie, I don't know if there's enough evidence to really go on. It just is something people have well, thrown out there. I think one of there. the things left out is what is the human race gaining by going after these bugs? Well, the bugs are in their way from colonizing whatever this place is. Okay, yeah. Basically. It's it's the old colonization right, thing right. of like, okay. we're going to this place, they're in the way. Yeah, yeah. They're putting up a resistance, so we have to make them the enemy, or else we seem like the enemy. Right. The only thing that really prevents it from being totally fake is that it does seem to start when Johnny is literally doing that FaceTime call with his parents and telling yeah. him he's coming home. Because the sky gets Oh, dark. yeah, right, exactly. So something is happening. So I guess... Seems like more of a possibility that something has happened, but maybe it wasn't the bugs that did it. And then the world is then using that yeah. to further the war effort, it's further like, support uh, for the war. The end of Watchmen. It's like a giant squid. <laughs> or, or when people say that 9-11 was an inside oh, job. Oh, yeah. Or, or things like that to then spur on the next thing that happens, I guess. While Johnny's at his absolute lowest because of being publicly whipped and then sent out of the well, he doesn't have to leave. Yeah. But he decides he wants to leave. Which, even also, Diz is like, you could have just left. I know. Why would you let them whip you first right. and then leave? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? The whole point of that was so he didn't have to get kicked I out. I know. Because at first they were like, all right, well, we're kicking you out. And then they were like, well, let's come up with something else. He needed that um, public shaming and just horrific pain. I guess, yeah. He needed to uh, absolve himself for his actions of trying to fix this that. This is like it was actually turning me on yeah. watching that. <laughs> He's like, enough, all right? Jesus. But also uh, a couple people from his squad quit over the whole thing, too. Well, I think just the one that shot the guy. Or was there another person? Well, he says we've already lost a couple recruits over this or something. I think, Yeah, he meant yeah. the one that got shot and the one that oh. quit. That's <laughs> okay. what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> I think he says we lost two. Yeah, he yeah, meant true. those two. Yeah. 
Because then they show the girl leaving. Upset. Yeah, yeah, leaving. While that's happening with Johnny, Carmen is exploring her mutual attraction with Xander. It does feel inappropriate just because it seems like he's her superior, but this world is definitely fast and loose on that kind of thing. Totally. They don't seem to really worry about it. Katrina, the little short-haired girl, does have the best line when Johnny's watching the video, and he's like, my family is dead. And she's just like, goddamn books, what does Johnny? Yeah. Like, are you a clown? My family died. Why I are know. you saying that? <laughs> Although she's being serious, because it seems like she's crying. Reappearance of Carl. Seems like because of his psychic ability, he is really elevated upwards in this military regime. Oh, yeah, he's a big-time player. Neil Patrick Harris was often called Doogie Himmler whenever he wore the military intelligence uniform as it bore a resemblance to SS uniforms. For sure. The name is a joke after Harris's TV series Doogie Howser MD, which started in 89, so there you go. It went probably, I think, probably about four seasons. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Would have only been about four years later. And it's also a reference to SS leader Heinrich Himmler. Because of the situation in Buenos Aires, Johnny changes his mind. Zim rips up his resignation letter while That's right. Breaking Bad turns his back. Can't remember. I don't know what Hank's name is in the movie. His character. Oh, yeah, right. It's not really important. So he stays. Everyone's immediately being activated, though. We're all shipping out. And this leads to a weird run-in, an unexpected run-in with Carmen at what seems to be some sort of a transportation depot a base or something. camp, yeah. And that leads to the fight between Johnny and Xander because Johnny is upset that she broke up with him, but he thinks that she just broke up with him. But then he sees this fucking guy, and he's, he's like, like, what uh, the I fuck? I know what's going on here. And then while they fight, Fade Into You by Mazzy Star starts playing. It's bizarre. The second, actually, I, I talked about how Guy Ritchie used it and swept away, and it yeah. felt really out of place. I know. I was just thinking yeah. about that, too, when this popped up. But this seems intentionally jarring. Sure. Yeah. I agree. But I don't know bizarre. how they landed on this song. but I know. <laughs> but it's not like the fight is in slow motion, either. So it, the music and the visuals don't even match in any way. Totally. That because was standing out to me. The fight is very high-paced, intense, and then the song is just in the background. Not very loud, either. No, I know. It's almost like you can only hear the guitar, like the lead guitar at parts. Strange. Yeah. Again, though, I don't know what the big metal, I guess we were getting very close to new metal, but whatever was going on in 97, I'm sure there was like a a post-grunge, post-alternative type rocker that you could have put over there that would have sold soundtrack. Limp Bizkit. Mm. Was Faith out yet? Was that 97 or 98? I don't know. That was probably 98. An invasion force is deployed to Clendethu, the arachnid's home planet, but the military intelligence underestimates the arachnid's defensive abilities, leading to thousands of casualties. It's a total shit show for the humans. This is literally Uber Eats for these (laughs) bugs. They're just being delivered humans to kill. And it does seem as if human arrogance is a big factor in how these things are done. And on the surface, you're like, oh, the humans are assholes. They think they're the best. And then you realize, oh, they're doing this on purpose. That's how little the lives of these soldiers mean. They're like, we're experimenting to see what the bugs are going to do. Yeah, yeah. They take it a step further. The humans are even worse than you thought. I guess the idea is, yeah, let's get these people all pumped up and, you know, we don't really know what we're dealing with here. So who knows? Maybe we'll uh, accomplish more than... Maybe we'll end up as in a net positive here, and it's just no. eviscerated immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, if you guys win, that would be great. But we're also just kind of studying what they yeah. do because we don't really know how they fight yet. So we just want to see that. <laughs> I know. 
have fun. There's those big bugs that shoot out that like blue shit and just like dropping loads up into space. I know. <laughs> those seem to gross. be pretty effective weapons. That part is interesting to me because it kind of starts to well as it goes on we find out more and I guess it comes back to this brain thing but there is some militaristic strategy going on from the bugs. Yeah. Which you would not have expected. No. But then again, when you see how bugs act on Earth, yeah, we often don't understand until we study and learn about them. Like we didn't understand what ants were doing, right. and then we get that they vomit information into each other's mouths, and they're like, "Oh, the picnic is this way, or whatever." Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, they go. One comes out and finds it, then they go back and they tell everyone, and then they all come. We don't get how they do that at first, and so these bugs seem to be different species, too. There's at least, totally what, three or four yeah. different types of bugs that appear, maybe five. And so they're all working together. And yeah, it doesn't really translate directly to bugs on Earth because it's more of an alien element where there's one bug that's yet another kind that's commanding them. But, you know, it's kind of it's kind of similar to bugs, but also unique and different. Yeah, because it really doesn't seem like with the technological advances here that the humans should be in any position to lose <laughs> but their spacecrafts are getting like fucked up well yeah that's the thing the violence level of course is wild yeah this movie would have had to have taken a lot out to be pg-13 in fact we'll get to a moment later where it was almost nc-17 but this first battle on clandethu makes me really notice how ineffective a lot of the weapons are that the I know. humans are using and you're thinking we're hundreds of years in the future this is all they're getting really it seems like we'd have better stuff to give them because it's taking so many shots to, to kill, kill these one bugs. bug yeah Ugh. i don't know if you picked up on this I, and i didn't really know where to put it but there are several references made to world war ii medal of honor recipient roger wilton young yeah they call one of the ships the roger young and right there's okay. some other references to roger young Suffering a head injury in high school, he lost much of his eyesight and hearing resulting in his leaving school. Knowing he could not pass the Army physical, he joined the National Guard. He was promoted and deployed to the Pacific. Due to his handicap, he requested demotion so he could go into combat with his men. In the film, this has not happened yet, but Career Sergeant Zim makes a similar request when Buenos Aires is destroyed. Eventually, his wish is granted and we see what happens. Also, during World War II, Young gave his life in combat by single-handedly bombarding a Japanese machine gun position with rifle fire and grenades during an ambush, allowing his platoon to escape. There's just echoes of what he did yeah, yeah. and that mentality, which is brave, and one would definitely argue that all wars are terrible, but there might be a certain nobility to World War II as compared to trying to colonize space. Right. But I don't know that... Verhoeven would differentiate. I think that if you're anti-war, you're anti-war. And that that mentality, while noble and brave, is not always the smartest thing to do. Yeah, I'd say so. Because sometimes you're dedicating yourself to a cause that, with the benefit of time and hindsight, is not really as important as you're being led to believe, which I think is sort of what's going on in this movie. Yeah. But that leads you into the whole thing about what the true story is about the Buenos Aires attack. Because think about through human history, whether it's Pearl Harbor or 9-11 or whatever, there's usually some inciting incident that leads people 
into war and being gung ho and willing of course, to do yeah. it. Yeah, getting everyone fired up. But we see these bugs, right? Yeah, they don't seem to have any technology. No, how are they sending a meteor? Uh, uh, I know that. What are, I, the, what yeah, are they doing? Right, exactly? I know. That's what I'm saying. The <laughs> fact that there's like zero effort to even say how they could do this. <laughs> it, well, I, I do think it leads credence to like that they didn't do it. It's definitely a possibility that it's either a freak fluke thing or that the humans did it to themselves in order to... Right. I just, Yeah, I would say both of those are options. It just happened anyway. That's possible, yeah. Yeah. We leave Clendethu believing Johnny to have been killed in action. It seems like he may have been. We don't know his fate. Although, since he's a main character, you can pretty much assume, since you don't actually see him get killed, that he's probably alive. Later, Carmen finds his name reported amongst the many soldiers killed, seemingly confirming his demise, but we learn almost immediately that reports of Johnny Rico's death were a tad premature. Badly wounded, he was actually rescued by his former teacher, Ratchek, and then given the Luke Skywalker treatment That's right. to recover swiftly. That jumped out to me. In the meantime, though, Carmen is devastated. To further the Star Wars thing, I know that there at some point in this movie, a Millennium Falcon is visible in the background. I didn't see it. Though. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Maybe I, think I had heard that before. when they're on one of the bases or something. It's not okay. up in space. Okay. But it's on one of the landing places, wow. I think. I didn't see it, so I don't know. Hmm. Several scenes were filmed following Carmen coming to grips with the supposed death of Johnny Rico while starting a relationship with Xander. However, test audiences started to hate her character so much for hooking up with another man so soon after the death of her former lover and were very vocal about it. The scenes were sub subsequently deleted, although a relationship between Carmen and Xander is still implied in the rest of the movie. For so sure. that adds a weird element to it, too. Yeah. Where you think that they have a relationship, but then when you actually watch it, it does feel like scenes are missing because I know. you think that they've advanced more far than they actually ever do. Well, and I have to say, her version of devastation is not all that far off from all of her other emotions. She did cry a little bit. A little bit. It was a whole thing where the audience was expected to buy yeah. that she was in love with two men at the same time. Mm -hmm. This is not unique to Starship Troopers. This is a thing that gets brought it into many things sometimes it's a man in love with two women it was whatever. a part of star wars until you found out that the skywalkers were <laughs> brother and sister yeah. yeah and the audience just wasn't having it the test audiences nobody was buying that they were like you can't be in love with two people at the same time and sometimes you get it through your move in your movie and yeah. sometimes the audience the test audiences are like no i don't really know i don't really have much of opinion on it. i don't really think you can actually be in love with two people at the same time i think that by nature, if you're actually in love with someone, it cancels out any previous love you had for another person in terms of that kind of love, romantic love. But who am I to say? Yeah, I don't I'm know. sure there are some listeners out there who would say, no, no, I definitely was. But whatever, it didn't make its way into this movie. I actually kind of wish that they would have done it and committed fully because you're left with this, well, Carmen's half a bitch in the movie. Yeah, it is I weird. would wish they just went full on. And in a way, at the end, after what they both have to go through, I actually would have maybe empathized more with her for that horrible moment at the end. And it maybe would have made me like her to see her be more human because I think that a certain humanity is lacking from this character. Yeah, for sure. And so even if it's bad, even if it's something that you don't like, it still feels more human. 
because they're 18 years old. They just graduated high school. She doesn't have to be married to this guy forever. She loves him in a way that she will always love her first love, but she's moved on. And even if that makes her unpopular to the audience and makes us not like her, I still feel like that's real. Totally. I feel like they should have left that stuff in there because then, spoiler alert, Xander's death, Yeah, it doesn't mean as much to I, us. Yeah, I, I would say she undersells his death. <laughs> well, <laughs> that may not have been intentional. <laughs> Following Johnny's recovery, he and Dizzy, along with Ace, played by Jake Busey, in case you forgot, join Ratchek's Special Forces Unit the Roughnecks. So what do you hear about our new unit? Roughnecks killed more bugs than any other outfit on Big Bang. Yeah, well, I hear their lieutenants are real nutbuster. Who's top kick? You want the job, huh? I wouldn't mind. I would. Just doing my part. Orders. Yours? Where have you been besides Big K? Outer Ring, Zegama Beach. Zegama Beach. I always wanted to go there. Good luck. It's not there anymore. So I hear your lieutenant's real nutbuster. <laughs> <laughs> No one talks about the lieutenant that way. You saved my life. Mine, too. Same for me. Me, too. Well, sounds like he's quite a guy. Who do you think saved your ass? Stand by. Attention on deck! For you new people, I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. You get me. We get you, sir! Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratchets, Roughnecks! At ease, listen up. Got a new Sky Marshal and a new battle plan. Gonna clean out the systems outlying Clendathu one planet at a time. Before we hit Tango Urilla, after Fleet glasses the planet, MI mops up. Carry on. Once Ratchek is on board, Michael Ironside, one arm, the whole yeah, deal. Yeah, with everybody's him, excited. He seems to actually be able to organize them in a different way that they felt very disorganized before. For sure. Now, granted, it's a different unit, kind of, but since our leads are going into it, it feels like it's all one continuous thing. Yeah. But this guy knows what he's doing. He's really bought into the cause. He's a true leader here. He wants to go planet by planet and just destroy whatever's there. New leadership comes in even back on Earth because yeah. that guy gets blamed for the disaster at Clendethu. So this seems more effective, more thought out. Seth Gilliam from The Wire I know. shows up as Sugar Watkins. I, I did not remember him being in this. Maybe this was the first time I've even rewatched this all the way through since watching The Wire. But yeah, Carver. I watched this probably last year, but I still didn't remember he wow. was going to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like if I watch this movie next year, I'll be like, oh yeah, that guy from The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> he actually ends up being a real 
loyal soldier for Absolutely. Johnny. He's like He's kind one of, of his right hand men. Yeah, he ends up being important through almost the rest of the movie. We get introduced to another kind of bug. So we had the big guys who were coming up into the air, and then we had the regular bugs that sort of look like those yeah. robots from Phantom Menace that roll around and then stop rolling and then have like guns for arms. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. That's what kind of what the aliens look like. Okay, yeah. Or the bugs. And then there, now we have this other bug called a tanker bug, the big bastard that crawls out from under yeah. the surface. Kind of almost kind of like tortoise-esque. Slug-like, too. Kind of. Yeah, there is they like a kind shell of quality. Yeah. But yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> There's always something vaguely vaginal about these things. Oh, yeah. Because men always design this stuff, and they're always like terrified of women and vaginas. <laughs> and so like throughout history, it's like every alien and everything. There's always some like... Even in like paintings and stuff throughout time, it's like always comes back to that. <laughs> but the tankers... They spit fire, which I'm like, Jesus, like every bug has like this crazy power in this world. <laughs> We're like, there doesn't seem to be anybody else on this planet. Right. What do you need the fire for? I know. <laughs> you live in the desert. There's nothing else around. What do these bugs even eat? Anyway, pretty gnarly special effects, even though they're kind of dated, like the arm incinerating from the tanker bug and yeah, yeah. shit like that. Johnny reestablishes himself as a hero, though, pretty quickly when he kills the tanker bug. Oh, yeah. By like diving on the back of it. There's a hole in yeah. its back, and he literally puts a grenade in it. Like a whale. No, it wasn't like a blowhole. It was a hole that got shot into it. It was oh, like a okay, wound. Yeah. So it was like an open wound, and he shoved a grenade into it. Oh, okay. I missed that. I, I was thinking that it was just like some sort of pre existing hole. No, because that orange goop that was coming out oh, yeah, was that's supposed right. to be blood yeah. or something. It's a whirlwind for Johnny. He's back to being a hero on the fast track. Killing the gigantic tanker bug on Tango Urilla is a feat worthy of jumping him up to Corporal in Ratchak's eyes. Johnny quickly makes Dizzy his number two. But he did ask Ace first right in front of her, <laughs> and Ace didn't want to do it. But of course Dizzy would say yes because Dizzy would literally get down on her hands and knees and bark like a dog if he asked her to. Whatever you want. You know what? It's real though, because love is so embarrassing. Yeah, that's what really I. Is. That's what actually I thought when that scene happened, because yeah. most people who had any pride left would have been like, "Well, you just asked this fucking guy. I'm not even your first choice. We knew each other since high school. We had our football <laughs> right. plays. Yeah, I a shake and bake. <laughs> I, I do everything for you, yeah. and you ask this guy. But no, she immediately says yes. Of course, she would do anything he asked. During the celebration at Ratchek's urging, Johnny finally goes for it with Diz about fucking time. I mean, I come everybody's on, been saying it. People are starting to wonder yeah. about you, Johnny. Ace pulls the fiddle out, which for some reason he plays. I don't really know why. <laughs> <laughs> they get an urgent distress call and have to leave this planet, Tango Urilla. And Ratchek comes into Johnny's tent, and he says, 10 minutes. And then he realizes Diz is under the blanket. He's like, who's he in goes, there with you? Which I was like, boy, who did you think it was? Ace. Yeah. And then he goes, make it 20 minutes. So he's like, all right, blow her back out first, and then yeah. we're going to head up into space. <laughs> <laughs> Ratchek's just like, she's been hurting for a squirt. Oh, no. <laughs> it is weird, though. They were students in his class. I know. It's like, he's a little weirdly uh, invested in the relationship. If you're not going to do it, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put a dent in that myself. Well, now, he's unhinged now, right? Was, was his family murdered, his kids or something, all lost in this meteor attack? I thought Ratchet? they mentioned that. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Everybody was. Right. 
not just Johnny's family, Carmen's family, yeah, Diz's yeah. family, Carl's family, everyone who came from there. The Roughnecks respond to this distress call on Planet P where they find an arachnid-ravaged outpost but are quickly overwhelmed by the bugs. On this planet, they have flying bugs, all kinds of horrible shit, more tanker bugs, total carnage. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings, like Helm's Deep, where they're like climbing up over the walls. Yeah, well, when they get inside this outpost and they're like, what the fuck happened? They realize that the bugs came through an underground tunnel, which is scary, number one, but number two also speaks to how unprepared thinking. Yeah. they're thinking of how to get in there right. it's not just blind but it's just like how pursuit. unprepared these soldiers are they have like this little fort up yeah i mean that thing did not seem well considering how many bugs were on this planet yeah, yeah it didn't seem like it would hold this is gonna be long. enough <laughs> but the worst part is these bugs on this planet suck brains that's right so we find some dead bodies with their skulls opened up and their brains sucked out that's pretty horrifying and then they realize why they suck the brains because when this these bugs eat the brain they can find out what the person was thinking and that's how they are able to do all this different shit that the bugs have been doing and they realize it's a trap the distress call was a trap to bring yeah, more right. people there to kill control yourself general i can't i can't Shoot him. Uh, He's just a little out of his mind, sir. Warm it all up. Everything you've got. Come on, you hate. You want to live forever? shaping up to be yet another catastrophic loss for the humans as the bugs swarm the outpost base. As a tanker bug tunnels in from below, it's Carmen and Xander who arrive, recovering the surviving roughnecks by dropship. In the battle, Ratchek is cut in half Oof. by the tanker bug, 
And so Johnny is forced you know to, to provide do. the mor- mercy kill. Yeah. <laughs> During the scene where Michael Ironside's character falls into the hole and gets his legs bitten off, Dina Meyer hit her head, was knocked unconscious, and suffered a concussion. Oh, my gosh. There was some safety issues on this movie. I know Jake Busey suffered from heat stroke because originally the outfits they were wearing didn't have like any ventilation, and they oh, were gosh. filming in over 100-degree weather. Wow. And... It had to shut down filming for a few days while he recovered, and they they changed everybody's costume to have more ventilation. To avoid an NC-17 rating, four seconds had to be trimmed from a decapitation during the last battle at the Whiskey Outpost base. However, the four seconds can be seen in the version that plays on the FX network. (laughs) So if that doesn't prove Verhoeven's point right there... Oh, you remember that scene that we thought was so terrible it was going to make your movie? We need to keep it out of theaters. X-rated. Yeah, that'll just be on TV. But God forbid we show a fucking nipple on fucking FX at night or something. At least they show bare ass on FX now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at least. We need more of that on TV. (laughs) I was watching something on USA Network. It was, I think, 11 p.m., and they were saying the F word. Wow. TV is way different now than yeah. it used to be. If you pay attention late night on cable, they're just anything flies apparently. Right. <laughs> well, they got to compete now. And then it happens. Just after killing the tanker bug with a grenade, Dizzy is stabbed and then impaled by a bug. Yeah, this is a rough sequence because we lose some pretty crucial characters here. I feel like Michael Ironside is one of the enjoyable performances of the movie. Yeah. He probably obviously has more charisma his, than anyone else in it. <laughs> obviously, his politics aren't great. Well, yeah, yeah, the character know, but, is interesting. Yeah. He does not have more charisma than Dina Meyer. How dare you <laughs> say that in okay, my presence? All right, fine. One of the great actresses of our time. Yeah. <laughs> so she does get stabbed twice and yep. then impaled. So she probably would die anyway, but. Pulling the insect leg out of her is so fucking stupid. It does seem like she has a, no chance yeah. to live as soon as they do that. It's a death her, sentence. She's immediately going to be dead. Yeah. The blood and everything. Because what happens is, until you're able to get somewhere where they can treat you right that second, that thing being in there is maybe keeping you alive because it's keeping the blood and everything from coming out. Totally. But as soon as they pull that out, it's over, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dizzy dies in Johnny's arms as the survivors flee. Returning to the rest of the fleet assembled in orbit above planet P. Heartbreaking stuff. She's the most popular character in the movie. They eventually realized this and they were able to work her into at least one of the sequels as a voice, I think, or something. I think a couple of the sequels are animated, so I'm not really sure. I guess she, she, her character comes back in some vision or dream or something, but they had to get her back eventually because people wanted her.
Honey, I'm dying. I'm dying. No. You're gonna be all right, Diz. It's all right. Because I got to help you. Johnny, don't let me go. I do love the moment when Carmen learns that Johnny's still alive because I don't know because it's Denise Richards. I know you get what she's going for, but it's still kind of a funny reaction. She doesn't really know what to do other than just being overjoyed, which is really the only way I would think you would play it. Because what in that moment when Dizzy's literally bleeding out and you thought this guy was dead, you're like, oh, no, I like this other guy. I don't think that would be your reaction. I know. It would just be like, holy fucking shit, like overjoyed that this is happening. Seriously. They give Dizzy a Spock funeral in space. They wrap her up in the sunglasses case and shoot her out. (laughs) Sunglasses case. It is nice. Johnny gives a pretty nice eulogy, but it is also under the whole guise of this great sacrifice that we're all making, which is beyond stupid. After Dizzy's space funeral, Carl shows up again, now a high-ranking colonel. He explains the roughnecks were deliberately set into the trap, justifying it as a necessary sacrifice to prove the existence of the brain bug, an an intelligent arachnid strategically directing all the others. So happy to be uh, volunteered for that exercise. (laughs) Finally, a little backbone from Johnny. He's not a full-blown cynic yet. He hasn't quite adopted his parents' take, and later, by the end of the film, we'll realize that he never does, but he does at least push back on this. Fuck that. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. This is the first time maybe he's realizing this whole system is screwed up. What are we doing out here? What, you want to build some affordable condos on this rock in the middle of space where you got to fight these bugs that have a giant brain bug? Luxury apartments. Would you ever feel safe in space? No. No. When we get to that, you basically have to just send babies because people who have gotten accustomed to Earth are not going to be happy. Obviously, there'll be some morons who think that it's yeah. something worth exploring in a great adventure, but I-, I can tell you right now, having never been to space, it stinks. <laughs> it's a complete waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> who cares? I know. This is maybe my most controversial take. It wouldn't bother me if we never sent anybody else into space. I'm with you. They announced that there's aliens. People don't even care. Nobody even reacted to this. It's pretty much confirmed now that UFOs and aliens are real. And people are just like, who cares? <laughs> Hopefully they leave us alone. Is Pete Davidson dating one? If not, yeah. we don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. I think Is it going to be on the Kardashians? If it would have been revealed to us before covid that aliens were real maybe we could have got excited about it but we're too cynical yeah now. everyone is just so over everything and no one even gives a shit <laughs> i think that if we're really breaking this down scene by scene which i guess maybe we should do since this is our podcast oh yeah i would say that dizzy's death is this painful reality in the middle of this movie and that verhoven and company probably knew that Dizzy would be popular, and they knew, obviously from test screenings, that Carmen was not going to be popular, but they left this in as is because it's this too real, too painful moment where Johnny or others, 
in this world. They don't want to or can't face the full truth of what just happened. Their friend, this human being, right. who can't be more than 20 years old in the scope of this movie, I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed, but is still basically almost a child. Now, granted, I know Dina Meyer was basically 30, but you know what I mean. Has, her life is over now. She was sent deliberately into a trap on this fucking godforsaken rock millions of light years away from Earth, and it was meaningless. Her death was meaningless. It meant they, nothing. They it accomplished nothing. Yeah. Well, they it verified waste. that there's brain suckers out there. Which they already kind of knew, yeah. I guess. And the characters, Johnny and everyone else, they, they don't want to have to face that. How pointless her life and death was. I know, it's and horrible. How it meant nothing. And she's just gone. And that's the thing that stands out to me the most about this movie now. After probably seeing it about four or five times in my life and not really understanding it when I was younger and then understanding it more now is death is so meaningless to these people. And that by definition, if death is meaningless, then so is life. Mm -hmm. Life has almost no meaning. And that's what's scary about this society that Verhoeven and company created in this movie. And it's mind boggling that nobody would pick up on that and think that he's saying this is good it's sort of like, and I don't want to open up this can of worms, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. The people who sort of ignored everything terrible that Daenerys does in Game of Thrones and oh, think yeah. she's the hero, and then were so caught off guard by the turn at the end. And I'm not arguing that they did a great job. They obviously the botched still the poor. story yeah. a little bit. But there were people who didn't care about the botch. They cared about the fact that the person they thought was the hero was not. Right. And when you go back and you actually look at some of the shit she does throughout it, it's kind of like... Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah, true. She rules by this like militaristic all or nothing. And because of the way it's packaged on the show, a beautiful woman, mm -hmm. mother of dragons. Sort of a underdog story, really. That you kind of buy into it. And that's sort yeah. of, you know, I'm not saying that they did the same thing in this futuristic society here, but that's how these things kind of creep in the back door. And then had she burned everybody to the ground in Westeros and won... Don't you think the people who were fans of her still would not have picked up on the fact that she was not really a hero and was right. always a villain? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Except they chose the route then to make her not win, and so she kind of gets the the comeuppance for being the villain at the end. But in Starship Troopers, it's, in this society, everything's presented so shiny and perfect. That's why he's casting beautiful people that look like Ken and Barbie. That's right. That's why... Ready to go out there and win these... Galactic Wars, slick-looking world that we're in, high society, everything looks new and perfect because of the CGI and the futuristic world. And then underneath the surface, you're like, well, it's kind of weird that like all the adults look fucked up. And Oh, wait, life and death mean right. nothing to and these that, people. I guess that is it. And you don't really see it happen in the movie because it's mostly death. But you think about all these beautiful 25-year-olds or whatever that are graduating high school. Yeah. <laughs> but... If not death, dismemberment, you right. know what I mean? Like these like beautiful people like and, the, the, having that all destroyed and taken away. And in case our listeners haven't ma made that next leap, the idea, though, is that there is an elite class yeah. that is not these people, but these people don't understand that right? because they've bought into the system. Of course, that's exactly what would play out in the real world post 9-11. Who do you think fights the wars? Just listen to System of a Down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's real, though. Yeah. 
it's not the rich elite people. It's the poor people who are in these situations. And what do we do in America? We promise them that they're going to pay for college tuition. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the same thing as being a citizen? No, of course. We haven't reached that horrible level yet. Everybody born in America is a citizen, of course. And you can gain citizenship even if you're not born in America. But that's a pretty big chunk of money. Oh, yeah. That's nowadays... Over a hundred thousand dollars. It's crippling people's lives if you pay for it. And we've built a society where, at least in the past, people were convinced that you needed to be a college graduate to be able to do anything. I think now that whole lie has been right, thankfully uncovered and revealed to everyone. And maybe the world will change. Probably not, but you know what I'm saying. So there was a time where it was basically like, okay, you're a pretty good student, but you're not good enough to get a scholarship. But your family's poor. But if you don't go to college, you're a loser and you'll never go anywhere. So then who comes in with this fucking GI Bill and the whole thing? And I'm not criticizing everyone who's ever been in the military. Please don't misinterpret this. But there are definitely things in society that this movie is satirizing. And then nobody grasped that until it was right in everyone's face post-2001 where all of a sudden we are involved in this endless war on terror that went on and on and on and who were the people that are fighting the war and the country was mostly for it originally and that's sort of the world that they're living in in starship troopers i guess this episode spiraling yeah no i mean i yeah i guess i'll be clear on the other side my dad was one of these people who was poor and used the military to pay for college and was able to start a life so we're not being critical of that right if you Make the decision, and you are full sound in mind. And and I, I don't think that anything that happens in the real world is anywhere close to being as bad as what's happening in here. But this is like a warning. You're right. When you Once dangle you open that door, out rewards, yeah. and then you make the rewards things that some people would consider necessary, like the right to vote, the right to have children, those kind of things. Now, if you pay attention. Johnny's parents are very anti-military, but they have a son. Now, that leads you to believe that if you're super rich, you can get around these things, too. So it's speaking to an elite class that is almost outside of the rules. Right, which always seems to present itself. Right, so you almost wish that they would have left in a little bit more about the class stuff. Because I do think that class is a big part of that, and that that goes back to the shower scene, too, where they're all talking about who they were before they got there. Mm -hmm. They're talking about farmers and not wanting to be a farmer. And that could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And then the the one girl says she wants to have kids and all these different things. Carl does grant Johnny command of the Roughnecks, and Field promotes him to lieutenant, ordering him back to Planet P to capture this brain bug. As the battle commences, Carmen's ship is destroyed by the Arachnids, forcing her and Xander to make a daring escape in a shuttle which crash lands on Planet P into an underground tunnel system. The pair are then immediately attacked by the arachnids as Johnny listens over the radio. So now it's his turn to potentially assume that Carmen is dead because it sounds like they are being killed at first. Enough with these two and their fake outs. But instead, she and Xander have been captured alive. The bugs have something else in mind for them. That is strange. Get that they want to suck their brains. No, out. I know. I get that there is a point. The, the bugs. I think the thing you can. T- oh, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I think the thing is that the bugs are so smart that they understand that since they crash-landed in on their own, that they must be more important than the grunts that are out there. They immediately are like, we have to suck their brains. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, just not that I'm questioning that they're smart enough to grasp that. 
that they're able to take humans prisoners without killing them. Well, the brain is telling them to do that. I know. Well, I think those like, things are almost like extensions of the brain. Okay, I got to move this person, but all I have is claws, razor sharp. Oh, they claws. Ju- yeah, they jam them in there. Yeah. They do like impale their arms and legs. Right, just yeah. Not fatal wound. Yeah, yeah. I guess they've learned what kills humans and what doesn't. However, unlike Carmen, who was fully willing to believe Johnny was a goner, Johnny actually says he believes Carmen is still alive. So he has some sort of a connection with Carmen that she doesn't have with him. Yeah, right. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> Johnny sends most of his squad to complete their mission while he, Ace, and Watkins search for Carmen. But before they can find her, the brain bug finally makes an appearance. I just wrote, gross. Yeah, disgusting, really. Yeah, it's an unpleasant thing to look at. I'm not into it. (laughs) It doesn't even seem like it can really move well on its own because it's got those other giant cockroach type bugs moving it for it's so nasty all of this stuff actually this was really kind of reminding me of david lynch's dune like it kind of seemed like a creature that could be in that yeah the brain bug uses its proboscis to consume xander's brain absorbing his knowledge so this happens right in front of carmen so both johnny and carmen have to witness their new love interests killed in extra brutal fashion totally and i will say the first time I ever saw this movie, this part did disturb me. Yeah. Like that, I think it's just that sort of death. You probably saw this movie at a younger I age young, than yeah. I did because yeah. since I didn't see it with my friends for whatever reason that I can't remember, they never wanted to watch it on VHS later. I think some of them didn't like it, and the other ones weren't the type of people to rewatch things yeah. necessarily. So it just never came up when my friends were watching stuff and so i didn't really watch this till much later probably well into college i would yeah. think i don't know i probably saw it around 2000 or something you know when i was early teen but that part it really did disturb me the first time because i just don't think i had seen a violent act like that before <laughs> where like the top <laughs> of someone's head is being like cut into and their brain sucked out that's what's sort of wild about the underage kids sneaking into this movie more so than the nudity yeah which okay during the sex scene does does go topless again so yeah. there is a sexual component the second time but it is basically just anatomy the first time they're just standing there yeah. it's not hypersexual or anything i don't really feel like that's a big deal for teenagers to sneak in to see but the violence in case we haven't said it enough it is nuts and yes but this movie really actually isn't close to pg-13 i just think it would have just been redone to be pg-13 altogether they definitely were never considering that as a possibility there's definitely a campiness to some percent of the violence but then there is some of the violence that's just and and a lot of that campiness wasn't there in 97 because they hadn't seen effects like this true true yeah so it felt a lot more realistic probably than it does now which is weird because yeah i am old enough now to remember seeing movies that felt very real to me. Mm-hmm. And now when I go back and watch them, I'm like, wow, Same. these effects are terrible. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just the way we view things. I don't know. It's strange. And then I'll go back, and the first time you see the the T-Rex when it's breaking down the thing and coming out in Jurassic Park, it still looks better than like I anything know. now. <laughs> well, yeah, like Jurassic Park always stands out to me for that reason. There's a few parts... In in it where you're oh, like yeah. that's definitely a robot, and then right. the in the the brachiosaurus, brachiosaurus is definitely like CGI, yeah. CGI. But yeah, the man that first time with the the T Rex, I know it still looks very real, and right. it looks better than all of the other Jurassic 
World and Jurassic Park. Uh, agreed. It was, it was so weird. I don't know why we went into that, but again, Jurassic Park did influence this movie in some ways. Carmen slices off the brain bug's proboscis with a knife that Xander had passed to her, and then Johnny and company arrive, holding the arachnids at bay with a miniature nuclear bomb, which they recognize and evidently know what would happen if it goes off. So it it is sort of like holding people at bay. That's true. I have to say, Xander is definitely not likable, but it is sort of heroic that he passes the weapon to her to make sure she can defend herself, not knowing which one of them is going to be. Exactly. Called yeah. to the brain bug first. I guess he could have just done the same move had he held on to that knife. Yeah, but he didn't know which was right. going to go first yeah. at that point. The brain bug escapes while the arachnids attack and mortally wound Watkins, who ultimately sacrifices himself by detonating the bomb while Johnny, Carmen, and Ace escape. Again, just a pointless sacrifice when you think about what they're doing. Obviously, he at this point, maybe more so than earth and humankind he's sacrificing himself for his friends in his team here so i get that but just the senselessness of all these deaths and how stupid it all is by the time they make it to the surface the other soldiers are already celebrating zim has successfully detained the brain bug so the main thing happens off camera right if you remember zim had demoted himself to just be a soldier so he has to salute yeah Johnny, who's now been promoted. And I think there's something super important about that. The only way Zim can go be a war hero and fight along alongside these people is by taking himself out of the ranks. Right, exactly, yes. Like, he has a position in the ranks, and they want him to stay there. Yes, exactly. He was part of the military elite that wouldn't yeah. have to actually get his hands dirty or risk his life, but he wasn't happy with that. And it's certainly honorable that he wants to and goes and does this, but... He has to give up his livelihood because you're, I'm sure you're like going down in pay and everything. Right, but I think because of the destruction of Buenos Aires and the attack on Earth directly, yeah, it now feels like more urgent to right. be involved and actually win the war. Yep. Because I don't know if they ever reference it or not, but it seems like that may have been the first direct attack on Earth, right? That's the way it feels, yeah. We don't know that we don't get enough of the backstory, but it, it does feel that way, which I guess is another reason why it's suspicious. And I think it has to be because of the way that they look at the bugs, the way it's presented in the beginning of the movie is like they're not smart. They're a threat, but they're far away and we have to go get them. Yeah, that's the way it seems presented at the beginning. Carl does his psychic shit and detects <laughs> that the brain bug is afraid, causing everyone to celebrate. I guess that signifies that. If the brain bug is afraid, then they can be defeated because it means there's an end inside. Yeah, that I it, guess. they would have to be afraid of something, right. which would be defeat. I guess I don't know. They really make a big deal out of it, and I kind of was thinking, well, that feels anticlimactic. <laughs> well, it's hard to really get the full gauge of what the existence of the species is across however many planets. Well, it does seem like they do say that there are other brain bugs yeah, that control for other sure. groups. Right. So this isn't winning the war no. yet. In the moments here at the end, it's insinuated that Carl used psychic control over Johnny so that he could rescue and find Carmen, and he just plays it coy and says it's confidential, but that essentially yeah, is what of you're course, to believe. Right. I guess that's what happened when he says he just believes that she's still alive. I, I don't know. 
the psychic stuff in this, um, it, it just feels so weird and unnecessary. Isn't it enough that we're in space fighting bugs? We have to add psychic shit to this, I know. Propaganda advertisement details how the brain bug is being invasively studied, supposedly to learn its secrets and ensure humanity's victory. The advert encourages the viewers to enlist and do their part in the war so that they can become like Carmen, new captain of her own ship, and Rico, who enthusiastically leads his troops into another battle. And that feels like the ultimate wink at the camera that I again can't believe people didn't pick up on because they've just shown you how dangerous and stupid and pointless this all was and now he's running back in for more (laughs) (laughs) so they're fully indoctrinated completely hollow now any indication in that moment when he was pushing back against carl that he might become more like his parents is gone oh yeah he's fully bought into this and that's how it ends do you want to hear the differences between the novel and the movie sure lay it on me In the novel, Dizzy is a man. Johnny Rico is Filipino. Is there still a sexual connection between (laughs) the two? No, I don't think so. Carl is killed in a bug raid on a research station. Ratchek is a combination of two characters, teacher named Jean Dubois and Lieutenant Ratchek, leader of the Roughnecks. After Rico is promoted to sergeant, he is sent to OCS at a transfer station. He sees his father has joined the MI. There is a brief reunion. They wore battle suits in the novel. Each suit gave a soldier incredible strength and tremendous firepower, thus the name Mobile Infantry. 
Carmen Ibanez wasn't Johnny Rico's girlfriend. She was everyone's friend. After joining up, they meet when he's a third lieutenant on a ship bound for combat. The mobile infantry were also fighting a war against the skinnies, a tall green humanoid species who were allied with the arachnids. Also, the arachnids weren't mindless, savage creatures. They were rather intelligent, which kind of comes through, but in a different way. And they had more advanced technology, somewhat on par with humans, such as H-bombs, which is what they used to attack Buenos Aires in the book. Ray guns, missiles, and spaceships. I actually think that would kind of be dumb if they had all that in the movie. Uh Because then it just feels like two teams. Uh, Right. Which is kind of boring. I think just having them be monsters is kind of more fun. Same here. While it's never explicitly stated in the novel, in the film it's strongly implied that fleet and mobile infantry have a rivalry, as Dizzy says to Rico after he fights with Xander, mobile infantry and fleet don't mix. The destruction of Buenos Aires is only mentioned with little description. So even in the book they got out of it much faster. (laughs) Rico can speak different languages. I don't know, just a bunch of pointless little details there. Clancy Brown believes that the movie is Paul Verhoeven's warning to America. It really exposes a lot of who he is and how he thinks about the world, and especially us. He was saying, be careful, this mindset is going to get you in trouble. I think that warning still stands. Critical reaction to the film at the time tended toward the negative, especially the Washington Post savaged the film for its perceived glorification of Nazi symbolism and totalitarian regimes. Analysts noted that after a strong $22 million opening weekend, the poor critical reception was most likely responsible for a 50% drop in revenue during the film's first week in cinemas. Mm. However, the first signs of critical reappraisal came in 2001 when parallels were noted between the war on terror in Afghanistan and the film's patrolling marines on the bug planets. And then all of a sudden, by 2012, 2017, 2020... All of a sudden, it's, <laughs> it's in lists of best films of the 90s, <laughs> yeah. most underrated films, well, all of these different things. It, the well, the critical reappraisal it. happened very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fun thing about film, and it's nice that they are able to sort of hang around and get like a reevaluation. Among the movie's famous fans are directors Martin Scorsese, Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen, and Oliver Stone as well as former president of the United States, Bill Clinton. Oh, wow. It's also named as an influence or among their favorites of Ari Aster, Margaret Brown, Macaulay Culkin, David Lowry, Robert Rodriguez, Eli Roth, Riley Stearns, Quentin Tarantino, James Wan, and Edgar Wright. A 2020 retrospective by The Guardian suggested that, with hindsight, Starship Troopers formed the final installment of Verhoeven's unofficial science fiction action film trilogy about authoritarian governance preceded by RoboCop and Total Recall. Slogans used in the film, such as I'm doing my part and would you like to know more, have since become part of the cultural lexicon. So that's another thing that I was thinking about when trying to figure out what the deal was with the initial reaction to the film. I was trying to remember what the deal was with RoboCop because that feels like another film that is very obvious what it's saying and yet I don't think people got it but it didn't matter because RoboCop was a big hit and everyone just thought it was cool so they kind of missed the whole point about it being about a police state and 
sort of this uh, authoritarian government and all these things that is actually about. I guess what I'm saying is, I guess people just still hadn't realized what RoboCop and Total Recall were really about, sure. and so that they—that's yeah. why they assumed the wrong stuff about Starship Troopers. Because why would they think that Verhoeven would go the complete different direction? You know what I mean? So I guess they just never understood those other movies to begin with. When I think about movies when the internet was less of a thing, were that many people going to the movies really that in touch with like who the director was? No, but I'm talking about critics, critics and okay, writers yeah. and people who should know. Yeah, all right. I don't know. I guess everybody just was very slow to recognize the level at which Verhoeven was working, <laughs> like what he was actually saying in these movies. Well. Some people. Uh, yeah. Okay, so final thoughts. Matt, what do you think? General discussion. I think that I have sometimes overlooked this movie. I think it's an imperfect movie. I think there are parts of it and elements of it that I love. And there's parts of it that I just think are cool. Yeah. I actually think the effects hold up reasonably well. They're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But it's not embarrassing. That's for sure. The, the effects. The acting is weird. For sure. But that almost adds to the charm. I'm not Like I said, I'm not fully there yet like i am with showgirls where i fully love that and embrace it and and think it's perfect but you know i can get over it yeah i I love dina meyer in it for sure i'm definitely into the themes and the satire although i'm never really laughing throughout much of the movie no i don't think there's a ton of laugh out loud moments although i do chuckle at some of it i did laugh at fade into you this time thinking it was just so weird and some of the stuff with Dizzy makes me laugh just because she's so embarrassing through the first parts of the movie where she's just so desperate. Right. It makes me laugh sort of in a sad way. But <laughs> but it is cool that it's kind of found its place and it's definitely a movie that respected directors really love. Yeah. And I think my biggest thing is the satire works. I love that. I think the story is cool on its own too and I get everything they're going for. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that the opening, when they're still on Earth, couldn't be 10 minutes shorter. Right. There's things I would change, maybe some casting stuff. But, yeah, it's really an interesting movie. And it's not one that you would expect would lead to a whole franchise, but it kind of has. Yeah. Under the radar, granted. Not in theaters, but it's still ongoing. And there's going to potentially be more material. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. Verhoeven had never developed a sequel to any of his films, but he was interested in directing a sequel to Starship Troopers, depending on its performance, although he said, I would need another three or four years of thinking to make sure the movie doesn't repeat itself. The relative failure of Starship Troopers derailed plans of a theatrical sequel, and so Verhoeven moved on to other projects. Even so, Starship Troopers was followed by two low-budget direct-to-home media sequels. The first, Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation, was directed by Tippett from a script by Newmeyer and featured no returning characters, though Brenda Strong appeared in the film in a different role from the one she had played in Starship Troopers. Newmeyer wrote and directed the second sequel, Starship Troopers 3, Marauder, from 2008, which brought back Van Dien as an older Rico. The series' narrative was continued in two CGI animated films. Oh, wow. Starship Troopers Invasion in 2012, which sees the return of Rico, Jenkins, and Ibanez with different voice actors, while 
Starship Troopers Trader of Mars from 2017 was written by Newmeyer and features voice acting by Van Dien and, as I said, a returning Dina Meyer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beginning in 2011, reports suggested that producer Neil Moritz and Columbia Pictures were interested in rebooting the Starship Troopers film series by more closely following Heinlein's novel. There have been no updates, though, since 2016. Verhoeven was unhappy with the idea of the reboot being more faithful to the book. In 2021, Van Dien said a potential television series was being discussed at Sony Pictures Television, although talks had been stalled due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So even as recently as a couple years ago, there was talk of more coming. To me, movies that are so based in satire and so of that moment because of the technology of the time and the cast of the time and the director of the time. And I just don't know if there's much value in rebooting it because are you rebooting it, removing the satire, heightening the satire? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, right. It would be interesting to see what someone would want to do with it. I think it would probably be more straightforward action movie. Yeah, I think so. And they would probably tone down anything that resembled Nazi or fascism and they would probably just present it as Yes, this is positive. We need that to we go fight this. bugs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Chris Pratt or yeah. something. <laughs> I don't know. I like the movie overall. I just think that there are a few things that I would do differently. But it's always fun to revisit it every couple of years. Because you kind of forget some of the things. And yep. then you're like, oh, yeah, this. <laughs> Folks, let's thank Keith for the listener request and also for designing our very cool looking logo that we've had now for a few years we do love keith yeah he's one of the good ones (laughs) barely yeah (laughs) what are you doing what What? vincent stopped making picks well how am i gonna know what movies to see we have a wide variety of gene picks gene's trash i'm gene okay let's get into segments we are going to hit up recommendations first. I'll let Matt speak. Oh, because he's barely said anything all podcast. <laughs> I didn't bring anything this time for a recommendation. Okay. My recommendation is a film that I watched last night for the first time that I had only recently even heard of, which is baffling considering who's in it. The director is a guy by the name of Mark Pellington who directed a favorite of mine that we did on the podcast way back in the day called The Mothman Prophecies Uh-oh, or okay. Mothman Prophecies. I would this, not if you asked me that I would not have been able to say who directed that movie. This movie is nothing like that. This is not a supernatural film at all. It's called Going All the Way. Are you familiar with this film, Matt? Can you start getting into the plot or who's in it? The cast features Jeremy Davies and Ben Affleck. Okay, no. Rachel Weisz, Rose McGowan. It's from 1997, the same year Goodwill Hunting came out. It is very weird. It takes place in the 50s. Affleck and Davies are guys coming home from the Korean War where Affleck saw action. Davies did not. They form this unlikely friendship, but now they are trying to be men, trying to be adults, and... It's very artsy at times, but I had never even heard of it. I guess the movie is now notorious because Rose McCowan was promoting it at Sundance, and that is when she says she was raped by Harvey Weinstein. 
it's that era. But as I said, I never even heard of this movie until very recently when the Oscilloscope Laboratories put it out on Blu-ray in this new version. It's called The Director's Edit. Hmm. It's, I believe, maybe 20 or so minutes longer than the original theatrical cut. I wouldn't say that this movie is incredible or amazing. There are things about it that I don't love. There's weird narration that is actually unnecessary, I feel like, and kind of jarring although that tapers off towards the second half and there isn't that much of it and i'm not super convinced of jeremy davies performance i don't know if you know who that is just by me saying his name was he in lost yeah 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 that guy but it's interesting to see a young affleck a young rose mcgowan young rachel vice a couple years before the mummy wow in this movie it's very americana but underneath the surface things are darker more ordinary people than David Lynch or anything like that, but sure. kind of just uh, a depressing, grim movie. Not super happy. Kind of reminded me wow, tonally was, of uh, Revolutionary Road or something. Not what I was picturing, but I do love me some Revolutionary Road. It's based on a book, which I think okay. is why it's called Going All the Way. I think that typically, title seems misleading. Yeah, for, you yeah. think because it makes me think of that Tom Cruise movie with, yeah. with like losing it and you know right, that kind right, of thing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with losing your virginity or anything <laughs> like that. But, yeah, Leslie Ann Warren, Miss Scarlet from Clue is in it. This oh, has yeah, to we love be, her. This is over 10 years after Clue, 12 years later. Best she's ever looked. Oh, my God. <laughs> Unbelievable how attractive she is. She's And I looked it up. She was already in her 50s. Wow. I'm telling you, wow. Okay, And good. there's a lot of weird incestuous stuff because she plays Affleck's mom in it. It's very weird. I can't really say anything about the plot without spoiling anything too major, but the original cut is available for free on Tubi, Peacock, Freevee, Pluto TV, but I watched this other new version, the director's edit. I don't know what the difference is because I've never seen the original version. Like I said, it's not amazing, but Mm -hmm. it's an interesting movie, and it's definitely worth watching because there's interesting stuff. I'm interested. I'll let you borrow the, the director's edit. All right, all right, all right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this, when you control the mail, you control information. Now it's time for email. This week's email comes from our good friend Theodore. Ah, yes. Who addressed our recent email prompt. So, listeners, hey, please feel free to email us at any time. We'd like to read your email on the show greatestpod at gmail.com and one of the prompts recently has been tell us about your listener requests and if you didn't have any interesting or specific story about that then it could be any movie and even for people who have never done a listener request if you want to tell us some story too these things have been great Theodore has been with us for a while he's one of our regular requesters he's had a few which he addresses and so he tells us about them he writes I have been fortunate enough to have three listener requests done on the podcast. Total Recall, speaking of Verhoeven. And also a Keith favorite. Mulholland Drive and Akira. Total Recall is a movie I've loved since childhood, one of the earliest memories I have of seeing an R-rated movie, though I watched it on either video or cable with my parents. It always makes me think of a super cool babysitter I had earlier who had described the plot to me after she saw it in the theaters. I'm going to pause right there. I wasn't a kid that was 
babysat a lot. Yeah. I didn't really have what you would call a regular babysitter, really. But I have to imagine that as a young boy, if you have the high school-aged girl babysitter, that has to be like a huge thing, right? Yeah, for sure. I Huge thing. <laughs> I had glimpses into that world, but it's like a distant memory. I, I can't even remember well, like, you know that I love that Netflix movie with Samara Weaving. Of course. The yeah, babysitter. Right. That is what I imagine it's yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, that same babysitter introduced me to the term alternative music when she gave me a cassette of EMF of all bands. I chose Total Recall because I wanted to pick something relatively mainstream that nevertheless gives you a lot to think about and interpret, sort of along the lines of Inception. I first got into David Lynch around the time of Lost Highway being released, so by the time Mulholland Drive came around, it was one of the most highly anticipated movies of my life. I'm not sure how old you are, Theater, but you're way ahead of me, because I definitely didn't even know who David Lynch was until well after Mulholland Drive Same here, was out. Yeah. It was probably watching well, I had Twin s- Peaks. I think I, well, I saw Mulholland Drive not knowing who David Lynch was. Well, yeah, I didn't see... Mulholland Drive until later, which I'm sure we talked about when we did it. Seeing it in a theater was an unforgettable experience. I've never seen it in a theater. Have I ever seen any David Lynch movie in the theater? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And if there is like a classic movie night, that's something we got to do. Well, we were going to go see Fire Walk With Me with Ray Wise and Cheryl (laughs) Lee. We bought tickets. It was in a different (laughs) state, actually, but within driving distance. And then I said we weren't going. Yeah. (laughs) And that was that. If anyone has ever wondered what it's like to be friends with me, that pretty much summed it up right there. Yeah, you definitely can't count on any event actually happening. Had to drive all the way across the state of New Jersey to find somewhere that was playing it. Hmm. Go back to our New Jersey yeah. trip episode. <laughs> yeah. We drove all the way across New Jersey to see Night of Cups. And we're all across PA and New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason. Yeah. <laughs> I chose it because I knew you guys loved it as well, and I knew it would make for a classic episode of Greatest Moments. I was not wrong. I think I addressed this when we did that listener request. I knew that Theodore had wanted us to do it because I think he gave us a choice maybe of Total Recall and that, and I was like, all right, well, we're going to do, do Total Recall or something. I know, I don't know, but I know he mentioned Mulholland Drive before, and I was like, we're going to get to it eventually. But, you know... It was very daunting, and you can see the runtime, and that's why. I knew it was going to be so long. Right. It's intimidating because you know that you need to say all these different things, and you don't want to let yourself down because it's such an important movie to talk about. You know what I mean. I do. 1980s anime in general, and Akira in particular, was responsible for a paradigm shift in my perception of movies in the early 90s. Prior to Akira, I did not think of movies as art, Having my mind blown by Akira laid the groundwork for me to eventually to get into stuff like David Lynch, Italian horror, French New Wave, etc. I chose it because I wanted to throw you guys a curveball, so I chose an animated feature that I was pretty sure neither of you had seen yet, Theodore. Yeah. Akira was definitely eye-opening to me in terms of what its importance and influence was on many current-day directors. Yeah, I'm curious now as to how old Theodore is. Yeah. (laughs) Just seems a little older than I would have thought. I thought he was basically my age, but some of those anecdotes made me think he's a little older. All right. Well, thanks to Theodore for the email. Please, everyone, send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Next week, with us kicking off Greatest October, we will 
bring back our our old segment, Physical Media Spotlight, where we are going to showcase some of our favorite horror physical media releases that we own. Absolutely. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Find us on X slash Twitter at Greatest Pod. We can be reached via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, sticker requests, anything like that, please let us know. You can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. Anything else? Uh, thanks again, Keith. Thank you to Keith. We enjoyed it. And may the road rise up to meet your wheels. All right, Greatest October, coming up soon. Pretty, pretty white bitches sniffing cocaine. My trap house lie like the soul train, yeah. I had a dream when I was a young nigga. Me too. Bad bitch. Damn lot of money. Yeah. Big pound of weed in that motherfucker. Whole lot of gang, gang. Yeah. Man, yeah. Top of me. If she ain't pretty, she can't ride with me. Hell no. If she ain't got ass, I don't want to smash. No, thank you. All I smoke is killer. Yo, bitch look like thriller. Damn. I might pull up and serve you a pound on a four wheeler. Ah. Fucking with the realest. Yeah. Don't know a nigga really. Hey, yeah, I can show you how to make that money triple. Work. Took her out to eat. What? Fucked her on the river. Huh. Serve simple. And she full of that liquor. Yeah. Took her out to eat. Fucked her on the river. Yeah. She started with me first. Pulling on my zipper. Yeah. She did delicious. So you know I had to heal her. Goddamn. Hell now, nah, Boy, you know I didn't kill her. No. I'm from Memphis. You know I thought about pimping yeah. Hot G's up. Hoes down. down. I might break a bitch like I break down a pound. Yeah. Want to work for G. Jump on the plane. Go out of town. Yeah. You see that boy ain't solid. Make that pussy stay from round. All I want to do is count money and lay up with my little bitch. Hey. Rich niggas ain't dumb. Dumb niggas ain't rich. Yeah. If she ain't pretty, she can't ride with me. Hell no. If she ain't got ass, I don't want to smash. No, thank you. Weed so good, I don't want to pass. All I smoke is killer. Yo, bitch look like thriller. Damn. I might pull up and serve you a pound on a four wheeler. Ah. Fucking with the realest. Yeah. Don't know a nigga really. Hey, yeah, I can show you how to make that money triple. Work. Took her out to eat. Fucked her on the river. Uh. All I smoke is killer. Strong. Got a shout out killer. Hey. See me in the club, I be standing next to killers. Whoa. Got a crib in Cali, so my car ain't got no ceilings. Smelling like that KK when I walk into the building. Hey, hey. Bankroll, trying to get another million. Rich. Get jammed up, he gon' sing like Bryson Tiller. Garage look like the dealer. <laughs> Y'all don't look familiar. Plus, I rep them stillers. Yeah. Don't care what the bill is. On the first night, she gon' try it all I feel bad for a nigga cause he keep trying to call Got a rover at my crib, she'll be back to you tomorrow If she ain't pretty, she can't ride with me Hell no If she ain't got ass, I don't wanna smash No thank you Weed so good, I don't wanna pass All I smoke is killer Yo bitch look like thriller I might pull up and serve you a pound on a four-wheeler Fucking with the realest Don't know a nigga really Yeah
I can show you how to make that money triple. Work. Took her out to eat. Man, what? Fucked her on the river. Uh. Goddamn bugs whacked his child.